Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Tuesday morning, September 12, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. So let's let's go back to the subject we discussed yesterday. Uh, real quick, uh, week after Saturday, this Saturday, real quick college football update. You ready? Okay. This Saturday, the Tigers play Florida Atlantic in Death Valley. Um, the Gamecocks travel to Athens. Uh, to play Georgia the following Saturday. Both are home, right? Gamecocks play at 7.30 Saturday night. Tigers play at 12 noon. That surprised me. I mean, the Clemson-Florida State game is going to be a game of national implications. Are the Seminoles back? Um, Are they ready to rival Clemson as the power in the Atlantic Coast Conference and position themselves to make a run at a college football playoff? And that's a noon kick. That is interesting. It's it's interesting to me. Now, now in, in all fairness, they have promoted in the last two or three years the big game at noon. And the reason they've done that is to hold on to the um the game day audience. In other words, they do the game day shows from nine to twelve or ten to twelve, whatever, nine to twelve, I think. And um and they believe a lot of people watch game day. Nowhere near as many as did, but but however many people are watching game day. And then they go out and do their thing and come back at 3.30, you know, for some of the regional games, and then 7 and 8 for the primetime games. And they're they're strategizing and trying to figure out a way to hold on to an audience after game day goes off. So maybe, just maybe, that's some of the, um, well, I mean, I'm sure that's some of the strategy behind it. But if you're a Tiger fan, I mean, if you're a Gamecock or a Tiger fan, the last thing you want is a noon kick, unless it's on the road. I mean, I think it's always to your advantage to play at noon on the road. You don't have a team sitting around all day long at a uh, kind of in a hotel, kids with nothing to do. I'd, I'd rather, you know, put kids on a bus early that morning, get them to a stadium, get them in a routine. So, um, you know, I've always wondered this. You want to get real scientific here? I've always wondered what the wise guys think about. Um, in other words, if Clemson and Florida State are playing in Death Valley, um, at 12 noon, and the line is X. I didn't see the line, so I don't think there's a line out yet. Um, that probably is somewhere because you can vote, bet on anything under the sun. But but I've always wondered if the how much the line changes. And I think the FSU-Clemson game would be a prime example. Based on the time of the based game? Based on the time of the game. Interesting. I really do. I'm sure I, they do. I mean, they think of everything. Sure. I mean, they, they, they don't. You didn't build Las Vegas in the desert losing money. <laughs> I can assure you of that. But I've always – is it a point? Is it a point and a half? You know, you give your home crowd – and let's use um, – well, I mean, Clemson and, and Florida State would be, once again, the perfect example. So if you give the Tiger faithful all day to get lathered up, um, <laughs> they're going to be a more rambunctious home field advantage at 7.30 or 8 in the afternoon or evening than they would at noon. I mean, the, t- the teams are the same. The field's the same. Danny Ford famously said, you know, you don't play the game on paper. I mean, it's still kids on a football field, but the, you know, the, the home field advantage is real and it's more of a home field advantage when you play at seven 30. I mean, I was arguing, not arguing, I was debating with a Gamecock friend of mine yesterday about the games that matter most. And I told him, I said, look, man, I mean, you, you gotta be realist. I mean, you can be a homer, you can be a fan, you can be unrealistic, you can be a fanatic, all of these things, but you got to accept there's a reason talking about the wise guys. There's a reason the wise guys have made South Carolina 27-point underdog. They don't see any conceivable way the Gamecocks can win. Um, I think I read 2.6% 
of games uh, with a team, one team being a 27 point underdog, the upset, not cover the spread, but the upset happens about 2% of the time. So there's a 98% chance. If you go to the historical analysis of the odds maker, there's a 98% chance because the odds makers don't care if it's Georgia, South Carolina. I mean, the odds makers don't really care about that. It's, you know, how much better do we believe this team is than that team? And what line can we set to get people to, you know, kind of divide their votes equally? I mean, that's always there for that. They could care less who wins the game. Um, they're trying to figure out a number that gets Josh to vote one side and me vote the other. And they get the, the 10%, you know, they get the, uh, the house and that's, that's what they're after. Now, sometimes they get it wrong. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Lines at times are not set as they um, should be, but, I've always wondered, they will set a line next Sunday for the Florida State-Clemson game. That line will be set with a known reality of the game starting at noon. What would that line be if the game was starting at 7.30 and the, the Tiger faithful, one again, had a chance to get uh, to get lathered up? But but the Gamecocks, and, and, I, and I'll say this about my Gamecocks, it's all about the toss-up games. I mean, it really and truly is. Um, North Carolina was a toss-up game. You lost it. Mississippi State is the next toss-up game. You got to figure out a way to win it. Um, at Tennessee, I'm not convinced is a toss-up game. I mean, I think Tennessee will be the prohibitive favorite in that game. So then you come home to play Florida. That's a toss-up game. You know, um, they're having their issues. Florida is in search of themselves. And then you've got um, well, the other toss-up game. There's a, Kentucky would be another toss-up game. Um, at A&M, uh, that's not a toss-up game. I mean, A&M on the road should be, you know, uh, A&M will be the prohibitive favorite. Missouri on the road, okay, that could be a toss-up game. I mean, at Missouri could be a toss-up game. And and I don't know what to make of Clemson. I mean, I don't. Uh, they, they catch a break by the Florida State game being at home, the Notre Dame game being at home, the North Carolina game, if I'm not mistaken, is a home game. So Clemson, I mean, they'll have an interesting home schedule. I mean, when they were the 800-pound gorilla and they just kind of walked over everybody the ACC, I mean, if you're a Tiger fan, you love winning all the games, but there's not a lot of intrigue to the schedule. Unless you go to Tallahassee, unless you play at South Bend, you knew you were going to have better players than anybody else, but, but now you seem to, I don't want to say, ah, Clemson fans will say I'm being a homer here, but it seems the program is not quite as good as it was four or five years ago. I mean, I think most Tiger faithful will, will agree with that. Not, not the Kool-Aid drinkers, and every team has Kool-Aid drinkers, and they're just Kool-Aid drinkers. But if you're a Clemson fan, you got to admit your program has taken a little bit of a step back. How big? I don't know. I don't have any idea how big a step. But they, they got, um, I mean, they've got an interesting schedule this year. They, they've got you know Florida State at home in two weeks or a week and a half. They've got Notre Dame at home. They've got North Carolina at home. They got to go to Miami, go to NC State. I mean, those are, you know, I mean, when they were the 800 pound gorilla, it didn't matter where you play and who you played. If it wasn't Alabama or Ohio State, you know, we're ready. And now they're, you know, questioning their superiority in the league. Uh, somebody asked me yesterday, do you think Clemson's still the best team of the ACC? I don't know. We'll find out when they play Florida State. We'll find out if FSU is, I mean, I think FSU has improved dramatically. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But has Clemson taken a, a quarter step back, a half step back, a full step back? I don't know. But this is going to be a season that Clemson fans should find intriguing. 
I mean, I'm a little jealous because, I mean, I've, I've always said, you know, even as a Gamecock fan, the football sucked. The schedule was intriguing. I mean, you got to see some of the better teams in America, you know, Georgia and Florida and Tennessee and Alabama and Auburn and A&M and LSU. Uh, it was fun to tailgate knowing you were getting ready to play one of the storied, tradition-rich programs in America. Um, but but the SEC has its issues right now. I don't have any idea why. I mean, I don't. I, I thought about this kind of while watching football. Why is Miami better than A&M? Why is Texas better than Alabama? Um, why is Florida State better than LSU? That just normally, I mean, the last decade or so, it just means more. Um, well, it probably still means more, but you just ain't as good as you were. And the other leagues are getting a little better, um, shall I say. So anyway, um, the, the, the only point I'm trying to make is I'm glad the Gamecocks have a 730 kick in a swing game, a toss-up game, because I think um, I think the likelihood that South Carolina beats Mississippi State at noon is less likely than South Carolina beating Mississippi State at 730 tonight because it will give the Gamecock faithful, not me. I mean, I'll be the Boy Scout uh, <laughs> on site, but it, it'll give the Gamecock faithful a chance to get lathered up and be uh, a, a bit rambunctious in Williams-Brice at 7.30. And you and I always, uh, I'll text you or you'll text me the second we find out. Yep. When, when the uh, when the television networks release their schedule, there's about three or four text threads I'm on, and it's almost instantaneously. And, and the people that like to tailgate love the late games. You know, the ones that like to go to the game and go home, they don't have a problem with the noon kick. Yep. I mean, they don't have, especially if you're a Gamecock fan and you live in the PD. I mean, it's only an hour, hour and 15 minutes to Williams-Brice. If you're a Clemson fan, it's kind of a road trip. So I would imagine the, you know, the time of the game has a lot to do with how you schedule or plan uh, your weekend. Because it's really, in all honesty, uh, I got a buddy. He listens to the show, and we love racing together. He normally goes and comes in a day. But it's a long day. I mean, it's a grind. It's leaving it. Uh, you figure if you play at Clem if you Clemson plays Florida State at noon, He'll leave his home at, what, 4 o'clock in the morning, tailgate a little bit, get home after the game. Uh, it's just a long, long day. 843-661-0937 is our number. That is our college football update and report brought to you by the best football conference in America, the Atlantic Coast Conference. <laughs> <laughs> as, as we, as we, it's hard to argue. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's really <laughs> true. I don't keep up with the Big Ten much, but, but you know, the AC, of, the, of the SCC, ACC, games thus far this season and i think the two games that matter most are lsu florida state you know give the seminoles credit um and then the texas a&m miami game uh you know both went the acc's way and those were matchups of what i consider similarly talented teams and the acc got you know both of those gamecocks will settle that score late in november this year mm -hmm. uh <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. 843-661-0937. want to go back to something we touched on um, yesterday. I read a lot, uh, commentary yesterday afternoon about 9-11. How much the nation has changed since 9-11. Um, and it, I'm a bit, I guess I was naive to this or never really considered it. Um, I mean, I never bought into conspiracies. Uh, you know, so some of these some of these out there conspiracy theories. The government organized this. Uh, the government was complicit with Saudi Arabia in allowing these people to come into the country. They knew these um, some of these um, Saudi Arabian terrorists or fanatical Islamic terrorists. They knew 
that some of these people were taking flying lessons. I had, I read a story yesterday that I'd not, not heard before, and it involved actor James Woods. That he was on the flight from Boston to Los Angeles, and in the time period before 9-11, uh, there were some Middle Eastern fellows on that uh, on that flight, and he heard them talking, and he actually reported some suspicious some suspicions he had. Again, I don't know if this is true. This is a Twitter story yesterday, but it, it wasn't disputed, um, and that that it was basically ignored. That but there's no way. Okay, the three of us would be somewhat conspiratorial in nature, right? Yeah. I mean, you're very Josh. You're very skeptical of your federal government. Yes. Okay, Rev. You're very skeptical of your federal government. Yep. I mean, I, I would be one of the co-captains of the. I have skepticism in my government's team. But I've never considered as an alternative or a storyline the government was complicit in 9-11. I mean, no, I, that's never no. crossed my mind. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've heard that. But you hear these conspiracy well, theories I mean, that, that's, ever that's, since. That's nutty to believe the yeah. government conspired with the Saudis to allow the planes to be hijacked and flown into buildings. And, uh, and, and the buildings were detonated. You know, there, there were there were bombs in the buildings and For the, the building second, seven. Yeah. Yeah. Conspiracy. I, mean, I just never bought into that. I mean, I, I just for the life of me, as skeptical as I am of my government, I don't buy that. One of the main reasons I don't buy it, I don't think the government's competent enough to pull it off. Uh-huh. I, mean, I mean, if they were to, you know, to consider something that as an alternative, I question their ability to be competent enough to make it work uh, as they did. But. But a lot changed on 9-11. Some of the, because uh, here's where I kind of go. I mean, let's, let's say, here's the proverbial fork in the road. Um, one goes to full-blown conspiracy. I mean, one goes to um, the government conspired with some terrorist organizations that allowed 9-11 to happen to advance the agenda of the military-industrial complex. You know, somebody from Raytheon paid somebody from Saudi Arabia that trained these people to fly airplanes. They came to America and and learned. And remember, I mean, I, I, we know this to be true, that a flight instructor said they never were real interested in learning how to take off or land. And he wondered whether he should have reported that. But but nobody, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't cross my mind, you know, that somebody would fly a plane load of people and a, and a you know, tank load of jet fuel inside of a building to kill innocent people in the name of, um, you know, Islamic terrorism. I mean, that just wouldn't cross my mind. But, but we've heard stories from the flight instructor in Florida. And and he's a little bit, I mean, he has this guilty complex almost. I should have known. I should have known there's something odd about, you know, Middle Easterners taking flight lessons in Florida and having no interest at all in how to take off or land a plane. I mean, I, I should have known better. And, okay, that that's post-mortem. I mean, that's after the fact. And it's easy to question your judgment now after the fact, but the, the, the fork in the road that goes full blown, the government was conspiring and, and was a part of allowing this to happen. Count me out. I mean, I, I'm not a part of that. Now, now the other fork of the road is post nine 11, which is today, nine 12, um, the government began building a machine that is for the last 22 years, gathered data and knows more about your business, your movements uh, what you're up to than ever before. My wife tried to do something simple for me yesterday. I mean, just something simple. Um, get a post office box. I mean, I need to separate a business from another business. And so I wanted a separate post office box, just kind of make sure everything did get shuffled together. And she said it was like an act of Congress. Her words, not mine. 
Um, it, she doesn't know what an act of Congress is, um, but it's like an act of Congress to get, you know, uh, a mailbox. You got to have this ID and that ID. And you got to, you know, prove that you're a resident here and you're a resident there and you're not. And I'm like, well, well what do I need to do? And she showed me the, you know, the form just to go get a mailbox, just to go get a post office. Mm. And it's all because of the Patriot Act and, you know, the uh, Homeland Security apparatus that we built uh, in our, in our government. So yes, I mean, I am, I am very believing that government agencies have abused the privilege that we entrusted in them after nine 11. What, what they do now is not to keep us safe is to keep tabs. I mean, I sincerely believe that. Um, why? I don't know. I mean, I don't know why they would care what Josh is up to every second of every day, but I remember, and I tried to find it this morning, probably should have messed with it or tried to find it Last night, remember Rand Paul at a congressional hearing when Rand Paul said, this thing freaks me out. I mean, this Patriot Act and this Homeland Security Division, were one of, it freaks me out. But you don't understand, Senator from Congress, this is to keep people safe. He said, but they're going to read everybody's emails. They're going to track everybody. Um, I don't know how much some of the cell phone providers work with uh, Homeland Security or the Patriot Act have allowed them to do uh, what it is they do. Rev and I can say something. I mean, if I looked on my phone now, there would probably be an ad from SeatGeek seeing if I wanted tickets to the Clemson, Florida State, or South Carolina, Mississippi State football game. I mean, I'll assure you with this. At some point today, I'll get an ad, and it'll be from one of these, um, you know, uh, aftermarket brokers asking if I want tickets to the Florida State-Clemson game or the uh, or the Mississippi State-South Carolina. I know that's going to happen at some point today. Is that a result of the Patriot Act? Is that a result of Homeland Security? Do they know more about us? Are they tracking our behaviors, our, our travels, our what we do? Are they tracking that even more than we imagine? And is the reason they're tracking is because the Patriot Act and Homeland Security gave them the authority. Because I remember saying, I don't know about the curly-haired senator from Kentucky. I mean, he's a bit conspiratorial anyway. I trust my government. But if they say they need to create this entity within our government and they need this information to be made available to you know some of the social media companies, some of the media enterprises, I was trying to think there was not a Twitter back then. It was not a Facebook back then. So who was doing the tracking? You know, who was? I mean, it would have been the government, right? And we know the government has conspired in, in recent times with Twitter, with Facebook, with uh, TikTok, with, uh, I guess, MySpace would be the, uh, right? I mean, that'd be the, the predecessor yeah. to, um, I mean, MySpace, I think, existed in 2001. I think it did. And didn't make it because, you know, Facebook came along and did a bigger and badder and better. Uh, but anyway, that's just a question that, that I think we can consider is America. What is fundamentally different? Rev made an interesting point yesterday. Personally, me personally, 2008 changed my world more than 9-11 or pandemic. But but you made a point. Yeah, but two, 2008 was all about money and the financial collapse and, you know, uh, economic disarray. 9-11 was about the loss of human life, not just in that building, but, but the enormous loss of life that ensued in the 20 years that we stayed engaged in the Middle East. And COVID obviously, um, you know, killed people. I don't think it killed as many as they say it killed. And I think a lot of people are going to die anyway. But it still killed people. And death is different than financial destruction. Take a break. Back in a few.
843-661-0937. How many people have kept up with this UAW story? The United Auto Workers, and uh, they're basically not negotiating with Ford. They're negotiating with the Biden administration. The Biden administration is trying to put America on a fast track to the electric vehicle. I mean, that's kind of a known reality. We know that. Josh, you know that, right? That the Biden administration is using the government to encourage auto manufacturers in America to stop making internal combustion engines and convert or transition to um to EVs. Right, they're um, trying to incentivize and, that. And and I mean they're strong arming. They're not trying. just they're incentivizing. They're, they're strong arming in a lot of ways. I read something yesterday in the Wall Street Journal because this will be an interesting um, story. And, and the reason this could be an interesting story is South Carolina in the last twenty five years has become a home of manufacturers. You got Volvo, you've got BMW, you've got um, Scout about to build a big plant here in South Carolina. That is um, directly involved in the auto industry. There are about 1.2 million workers directly involved with manufacturing, assembling automobiles in America. Um, The majority are legacy builders. And uh, the crux of the matter is this. Here's the quandary. You ready? You ready for a Pamplico-Enian explanation? The Tesla technology, the majority of Tesla's technology is controlled in-house. That's their advantage. The Ford, GM, even Toyota to some degree, they're having to farm out a lot of these components and software, and they're having to pay a premium. So so by Tesla being so technologically advanced, and I'm not talking about their technology is better. I think it probably is, but they're more advanced in the creation and control and independence of their software and technology. And Ford, um, GM, and I guess Chrysler to some degree. I don't know if the Chrysler's still a major. They're still referred to as the big three. But but to me, it's the big two in Chrysler. Um, but you've got Ford and GM trying to make gains into Tesla's market share. And, and then you've got Toyota over here that most um, experts believe is the best auto company in the world. I mean, I'm not insulting uh, an American auto manufacturer by saying that. The majority of experts believe that over the long haul, Toyota is the best-run auto company. Uh, They don't have the entanglements with the UAW. I mean, they've got some issues with labor, and they've got some unions, uh, but the majority of their plants are in right-to-work states, and they've been able to, you know, um, prohibit the unions from being as active in these um, as as before. But, But the interesting part of the UAW negotiations is it's not necessarily with Ford because Ford's saying, look, I mean, they're sitting at, at the table of the UAW and saying, look, we're not in charge of our company anymore. I mean, if we were in charge of our company and we understood the future of the balance sheet, we could negotiate in good faith, but we don't know. I mean, we, we don't, we have no, we had to lay off 3000 people last year simply because we lost so much money on EVs. So, 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 you know, the UAW is not negotiating with Ford. I mean, in practical senses, they are. But in reality, they're negotiating with the government and what government is demanding or incentivizing of, of Ford. And I read yesterday, so you got 1.2 million people building cars in America. You got about 7.5 million people actively involved, dealerships, um, you know, uh, gas stations, I mean, you know, there's a big extensive essay out there with the Wall Street Journal talking about what it would look like if 
if if uh, if the internal combustion engine were to decline in sales by thirty percent, how many convenience stores would go out of business? How many car dealerships that were not willing nor able to electrify their dealership would say, "Adios, we're out of here." Some of the smaller markets. I mean, you're asking a dealership. Um, let's say in I don't know that Florence would. I, that'd be an interesting question for Mike Rickenbaugh. But the dealership is asking or being asked to make a million dollar investment. And the dealer says, we don't sell enough cars to make a million-dollar investment in the electrification of a plant. We'll just hold on. I mean, we'll ride this as long as we can, and eventually we'll probably lose our franchise, and we'll put up a big sign, you know, Josh's used cars. And we'll, you know, we'll try to go to Napa or, or AutoZone or Auto, wherever, and we'll try to, um, you know, in-house some of the parts. We'll just, we'll create ourselves, or we'll recreate our ourselves. But it's just such an interesting reality of what's happening in the auto industry today. And I mean, I'm reading, you know, the auto industry is negotiated with Ford. And then I hear some of the ancillary debate and I'm going like, no, they're not. They're not negotiated with Ford at all. They're neg- they need to be at the white house. I mean, they don't need to be in Dearborn. They don't need to be negotiated with Ford and GM. They need to be at the white house negotiating with, Hey, what do you want the auto industry to look like? Mr. President, you stone folk go, go liar or whatever, you know, uh, yeah, you lying face, dog face pony soldier. Pony soldier. Yeah, I yeah. get the stone pony mixed up with that. <laughs> yeah. And the stone pony's a famous dive at Asbury Park that Bruce played and eventually Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi calls it the house that Bruce built. But it's anyways the stone pony. It's not named the lion dog face stump pony soldier. Uh, but I get those uh and you can understand how you'd get those those mixed up. But um but it's just it's gonna be an interesting debate. I wanna to try to read I mean, I think there's a radio show in here. You know, the, the private sector and capitalism um, encountering um, government edicts, aggressive government edicts in the name of climate change, because all this is in the name of, you know, saving the planet from ourselves. Uh, no other country's doing this except, except us, but it's all in the name of, you know, climate change. 30% uh, of the auto sector or auto sales in America per the Biden administration need to be EVs by what, 20, is it 2030? I think it's less than that. It might be 2027 hmm. or 2028, somewhere I'm there about. Do we have a call? We do. Let's go to the phone. Jason and Marion, good morning. Good morning, Ken. Um, before I get to the topic, I just have to bring this up. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a movie called Johnny Got His Gun, but it was used in a famous music video back in the late 80s. And I've seen that video probably over a hundred times. So I finally decided to watch the movie. And if you have some free time and just want to blow, you can watch it. It's free on YouTube. Um, but anyway, that's it was a it's an eye-opening uh, movie on the um, aspects of war. Um, but anyway, onto this um, what you were talking about with the car industry and the EVs. Um, I don't know if you saw this uh, article in the New York Post about they found this huge deposit of lithium somewhere in Nevada where they say it's the largest in the world. And I think it's like 40 million metric tons or some crazy amount. I just wonder how, you know, in this call for climate change, are they actually going to be able to, to mine this lithium or are the environmental wackos going to say, well, there's some, you know, spotted owl that's in that area or some kind of a salamander that we won't be able to mine it. Um, but I just figured I'd throw that out there. You all have a good day. Thank you. I did read that. In Nevada, they found a, um, a finding of lithium 
Um, I'm of the opinion that lithium is a transition. We're not going from the internal combustion engine to lithium-ion charged electric vehicles and stop. I mean, I just don't buy that. Um, but because of what I do, I read a lot, and I try to, you know, does is this a credible story? Is this not? Um, Toyota was so... Toyota still hadn't bought into lithium-ion. I mean, Toyota's technology is solid-state batteries. Now, now, I don't understand the technological difference, but there is. The, the solid-state battery components don't require as much lithium and some of the other, you know, um, minerals the Earth provides in its natural origin. Um, can we mine those minerals? How nasty is that? I mean, I don't have the answer to those questions, and I don't think the government's considered any of the answers to those questions. They've determined that we need to be off of the internal combustion or we need to, you know, make the internal combustion engine obsolete. And they're doing everything they can to drive us down that road. But but I, I believe, and this is my problem with the government getting involved in this, I believe the marketplace, not, not, not left unattended, but left un... Uh, in other words, the government's not forcing the auto industry down one road or another. I believe there would be some internal combustion engines that always remain, that, that just make more sense. I mean, I think the internal combustion engine, if we have an economy that doesn't include internal combustion engines, we'll have less of an economy. I mean, I really believe that. I do think technology will lead us to renewable energy. The battery will be a part of that. Lithium-ion will be a part of that. The solid-state battery. I'll try to find a couple of articles that Toyota CEO and some of their leadership team, they never bought into the lithium-ion idea. They just felt it was um, short-sighted to make that big a commitment to that kind of battery. And, um, and they've had some breakthrough technology. Um, they believe that they'll eventually replace Tesla as the, um, the industry leader relating to technology. We just said that Tesla has a competitive advantage today in the majority of its technology and software is in-house. Ford and GM are having to outsource a lot of that. They're having to sign contracts. And the, uh, the Ford CEO said, we have about uh, per, let's use the F-150 Lightning. Per F-150 Lightning, the Ford CEO says they're involved in about 20 contracts of software that they're not proprietary of, that they don't control. I mean, it's, they're at the mercy of, you know, this company, that company, another company. Tesla has done a good job of keeping all that in-house. Well, Elon Musk said, we're not an auto company. We're a technology company that builds cars. And, and maybe that's the advantage Tesla had. Ford is what? GM is what? I mean, GM and Ford are auto companies. I mean, they're car manufacturers making cars, trying to figure out a different way to make cars from the way they have for the past hundred years. Technology, excuse me, Tesla is not an auto manufacturer. I mean, they've always declared themselves a technology company that happens to make cars. They incorporate their technology into an automobile. Toyota is a little bit of a hybrid as far as I'm concerned and from what I'm reading about, uh, about that technology but but some people believe that hydrogen energy energy cells, you know, that, that's kind of the most ambitious proposal. In other words, if we're going to really evolve, if we're going to make advantages in the long run, it's not going to be lithium-ion. It may not even be solid-state batteries, but rather some of the um, hydrogen fuel cells that we believe. Now, now, you know, the government's not steering us that way. And that's why you're you're seeing... Ford and GM having to lay off so many employees, losing so much money. Um, they just can't make money on the cars that they're forced to make 
via government edict and order. I think 30%. Um, I'll try to look up the number exactly, but I think it's it's 30% of the sector has to be. Remember some of the EPA CAFE standards that the Obama EPA came out with? You know, you can't sell a pickup if it doesn't get 16 miles a gallon or 18 miles a gallon. I mean, they were kind of minimum requirements for Ford and GM and Chrysler and Toyota and Honda and some of these, you know, established, more established car manufacturers. The, 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 the simple skinny on where we're headed and the reason the UAW is not negotiated with Ford or GM or Chrysler, but rather the federal government, it's going to take 40% fewer employees to make electric cars. I mean, if the government's going to force the auto manufacturing industry to build electric cars exclusively, it's going to count, it's going to take 40 40% fewer employees. So you got 1.2 million employees making cars in America. That means what? 400,000? That's a little better than 400. 480, 475 or 80,000 employees need to find new jobs. And how do you run for office saying we're saving the planet, but you have a million people got to find something else to do? It's a hard sale. And that's why I believe some of the executives from uh, the UAW, and I'm talking about union bosses and union, union leaders, they need to stop meeting with Ford and GM and start meeting with the president and his cabinet. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. I know we've got a caller, and we'll get there in two seconds, but instead of me telling you and trying to explain what, um, what Tesla's vertical integration strategy is and why it's such an advantage. Let's go to the Ford CEO. Josh, can you get us in queue? This We're is only this is only a minute and 49 seconds, and then we'll go to the call. But it's just kind of interesting that one of the big stories in politics today, and, and it is political, is the United Auto Workers negotiating with the legacy manufacturers. And I don't think they're actually negotiating with Ford and GM. I think they're negotiating with the Biden administration. Here's the Ford CEO kind of explaining what they're up against and why Tesla has a competitive advantage. If I explain to, you know, the listeners how crazy our software system is and why it's so difficult for legacy car companies to get software right, you, you'd be just, well, I'll do it very quickly. Yeah. So to say probably $500 a vehicle or let's say 350 quid a vehicle. Yeah. We, we farmed out all the modules that control the vehicles to our suppliers because we could bid them against each other. So Bosch would do the body control module, someone else would do the seat control module, someone else would do the engine control module. Right. And, and we'd have about 150 of these modules with semiconductors all through the car. The problem is the software are all written by, you know, 150 different companies and they don't talk to each other. Right. And so even though it says Ford on the front, yeah. I actually have to go to Bosch to get permission to change their seat control software. Right. So wow. even if I had a high-speed modem in the vehicle and, and I had the ability to write their software, it's actually their IP. And I have 150, we call it the loose confederation of software providers, 150 completely different wow. software programming languages. You know, all the structure of the software is different. It's millions of code. And we can't even understand it all. So, yeah. you know, that's why at Ford, we've decided in the second generation product to completely insource electric architecture. Right. And to do that, you need to write all the software yourself. But just remember, car companies haven't written software like this. Yeah. Ever. 
They've yes. never written software. So we're literally writing how the vehicle operates, um, the software to operate the vehicle for the first time ever. Yeah. If see, I, see what a guy says, we're going to stop the production of internal combustion engines and we're going to go to electric vehicles. We're going to save the planet and God will be proud and everybody will celebrate. We'll have parades in the street. There's actually people who have to deal with it. <laughs> I mean, the words of politicians matter. And when the president or a presidential candidate says by the year 2035, we're going to abolish the carbon emitting internal combustion engine. And next thing you know, a guy sitting in an office at Ford or GM is going like, do what? We're going to do what? Does this guy know what's required of that? So the next thing you know, 25,000 Ford employees are out of work. 60,000 GM employees are out of work. Why? Because they're having outsourced some of this stuff that they don't know how to do. They just don't know how to do it. And because you have to outsource it, it increases the price. The, the increase in the, the, the lack of profitability in a car requires Ford to do something about its bottom line, GM to do something about its bottom line. And the next thing you know, you know, the, the labor unions are angry at Ford and GM because they're laying employees off when they should be at the White House. Angry with the administration that said, we're not going to let car companies build cars the way they've historically build. Now, now give Musk a lot of credit here. Musk was a visionary. They have one software contract with themselves. I mean, that they were a technology company that decided to build cars. GM and Ford are car companies being forced down the road to advanced technology that they don't have any control over. So, so the guy that runs Ford Motor Company is telling you, I've got to deal with 150 software companies of which I don't own. Now, the second iteration, they're going to try to do some of this in-house, but there's an enormous cost associated with that. So when a politician stands on a debate stage and says, you know, to the climate change uh, enthusiast, we're going to force these car companies to start stop making that nasty internal combustion engine. We're going to get the carbon out of the air. We're going to make the world a better place. We're, we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be crusaders and prophets and change the world forever. There's somebody having to deal with that muck. There's somebody you know, strategizing in a room somewhere about how to move forward. And the only thing Ford and GM could do to cost or to cut costs was to lay off workers. And they laid off a lot of workers. And now the UAW is mad at GM and Ford because they're laying off workers. And GM and Ford is going to go to the White House. The reason we're laying off workers is we can't make any money building the car they're forcing us to build because we don't know how to do the software required to build electric vehicles. I mean, it, it's it really, I mean, that, that's kind of, and that's why the word of politicians matter. And that's why politicians don't need to meddle in the private sector. Let businessmen and women run the private sector. Let the politicians pave the roads and try to help educate our young kids. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. You're on. You know, the rest of the country at some point has to come to realization that the government and their allies never do anything with good intentions. But I tell you what I can see. I can see you, you or me taking our 2014 truck to a plant or wherever and selling it to that plant. They take that 2014 truck and totally refurbish it. And then you go buy a 2016 truck that's been completely refurbished. You know, if they were not allowed them to build new, new cars, that may be a business for somebody. But, you know, if we ever were to open up our minds 
And you look, you and I grew up very similar, kid. You're about a year younger than me. I was born in 62. And you look at all of the conspiracy theories that we've heard in our lifetime, and if you were to write them down, you probably would be amazed as what I, how many of them come true. And I think the more you open your mind to the most outrageous of conspiracy theories, and at least just throw them out there, I believe you'd be shocked at how many of them are true. I watched the thing where Donald Trump was being interviewed after the World Trade Center. I don't even think he was president. He flew around and looked at it, and he said he remembers the thing being built. And he said that building had more steel than any building ever built. He said, you know, it was steel everywhere. Steel, it was a steel frame. Everything was steel. It was not your typical building that you and I would see. And he, his theory was that he just really found it hard to believe that even a 747 or 787 could have penetrated that steel. It would have been like trying to crash through a, a, a reinforced bunker. So it does lead to these conspiracy theories. And does anybody really think that the government would have any trouble killing 3,000 Americans to get what they want? No, they would do that in a second. You know, and I, every conspiracy theory out there, I think let it let them all out there. You know, I mean, being a, working for a Democrat could be a fatal choice. Look at Obama's chef. Why did Obama – was Obama's chef murdered? Did it have something to do – did he find out something maybe related to what Tucker Carlson uncovered? Anything out there needs to be fair game when it comes to the conspiracies. There is nothing – like, I wouldn't put it past them – God, I am certain they released the COVID virus. I am certain it is not what an accident. I am certain they are they are now tweaking the virus, or the virus was made to come out in different forms. It wouldn't surprise me if after everybody made it through, they made it through COVID, and I'll say, man, there's no way I'm ever gonna get them. that vaccine was phony. The mask didn't work. This didn't work. So then they come out with another virus, and they count on guys like you and I not to take the vaccine. But this time around, the virus is more deadly. But actually, this time around, the vaccine actually works. But we don't take it, and they just wipe out their entire political opposition right there with one virus. I don't put anything past anything that that the government of any of these global corporate corporate. I don't put anything past any of them. All I know for certain is is they are all evil. They are all doing the work of the devil, and you cannot. And you're a fool to trust and believe anything coming out of these globalist corporations or or our government because they are out to destroy us. And as soon as the rest of the country that was foolish enough to believe in their government and believe in these big corporations wake up, if they wake up in time, maybe we got a chance. But they're going after everything we hold dear. You see what that governor's doing up in New Mexico? You think that's not that's the that's their next step? Anything they can do to destroy us, bring us down, take away our power, have more and more government control over our food, our transportation, our health, our housing, every aspect of our life that the government has control over means they have control over us, and that is the end game. These globalist corporations and the government want us subservient and compliant and doing what the hell we're told. That that's the bottom line, because they fear the mob, just like the Roman Emperors did. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it.
is it nuts to to consider what Bree said? I mean, I mean, I've read a lot about this, and and you guys have read about it as well. Um, there, there's this. Uh, it's not even a theory. That there's this. Well, I mean, we know the World Trade Center was built differently. It had to be built differently to be as tall as it was. Elevator shafts had to be. You got to get out of one elevator into another, and into another, and into another. I mean, it's 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 stupid tall. I mean, it was. That's a crazy way of saying. You know, one of the tallest buildings of the world has to be treated differently. And there had to be structural differences to that building because they wanted to make it it's so tall. The best way I've heard it explained, and I have heard Trump, you know, say that about the plane. There's no way that plane could run through that steel. But what is he saying when he says that? I mean, what what is Donald Trump implying? I mean, if you scratch your head and say, okay, a fully loaded 757 weighs 250,000 pounds. I mean, you got to think it can't be but so heavy because it has to fly. I mean, it has to figure figure out a way to get up off the ground. So there has to be a balance of aero and weight and fuel and 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 cargo and payload. I mean, there's a lot of. I mean, it's rocket science, right? I mean, it's rocket science. It's propulsion. It's lift. It's aerodynamics. It's um. It's a balance of you know what can the carbon fiber weigh and 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 where the balance of the weight is. So what Trump basically said, and this was when he was a business guy, and he, and he builds buildings. Trump said, that building was so unique. I mean, he's a New Yorker. He builds buildings. You got to believe he looked out the back window of his limousine or his helicopter one day and said, that's a crazy way to build a building. But they're building a building, you know, much taller than anything Donald Trump has ever built. Donald Trump is not an engineer, but, but he's not oblivious to what engineers do. I mean, he builds buildings. Donald Trump has probably encountered a lot of engineering issues, and he asked questions of, you know, this engineer or that engineer, this architect, that architect. But, but the best way I've heard it explained is the, the World Trade Centers were built like a stick of celery. Its rigidity is on the outside. They wanted these, um, th- these long spans inside. They didn't want to have, you know, a beam here and a beam there. They wanted a, a big span and an office space that they could lease and you could create your spaces as you saw fit. Well, they went to some engineer and architect and say, design the building, make it as tall as you can with the uh, the spans as wide apart as you can. And out came the World Trade Centers, uh, an engineering marvel, let's be honest. But what Trump argued is, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know how you get to the bottom of this. I guess engineering is the way you figure out, you know, some forensic accounting of the engineering, but, but Trump is arguing, and I don't even know why I'm going down this road, but Breeze did. Um, <laughs> Trump is arguing that the building, the metal on the, on the outside, you know, that's what holds the building together. Uh, that's what kept the building sound, and you're able to build it as tall as they were. Uh, it moves with the wind blows. I mean, it can't be but so rigid, but it's got to be rigid. And you got all these steel beams on the exterior of the building. Imagine a stick of, of celery. You know, celery is kind of rigid on the outside. So what, what Trump is saying is, would a 250,000-pound fully loaded, I think I, I think I read one day, I don't know why I know this, I think I read one day a 757 empty is 128 or 9,000 pounds, fully loaded with fuel and cargo and people, it's about a quarter of a million pounds. I mean, that's about what it is. You read it and you well, remembered well, it. Well, I mean, and, and flying at 450 or 605, 450 or 60 miles an hour, I mean, what does it do to that building? I don't know. I don't have any idea. Um, but, it, I mean, you've seen the visual. I mean, it left kind of an imprint of where the jet was. I mean, it kind of left a silhouette almost of the jet flying into the buildings. So, you know, the jet basically flew through steel beams, right? 
I mean, it basically flew through steel beams. Um, can a quarter of a million pound projectile flying 450 miles an hour fly through that much steel? I don't know. I don't have any idea. Um, I know what I saw. We, we all saw the visual. We saw an airplane uh, fully loaded flying 450 miles an hour, 400 miles an hour into the side of a building and kind of sort of come out of the other side. I, I'm not I'm not an engineer. I don't have any. I wouldn't know where to begin. I mean, it's unfathomable how you would calculate, you know, what should have happened, what didn't happen, what may have happened. But Trump kind of made a remark. He found it unusual <laughs> that that plane would have just, you know, flown through those that, those steel beams one after the other, after the other, after the other. Now, now, what he's saying there, I don't know. I don't have any idea. I said earlier, there's a fork in the road that says the government was complicit. There ain't many people taking that fork, but there are a few. I'm not on that road. Now, now I'm on the road. I'm all about the road that says after 9-11, the government implemented a series of, um, of uh, executed a series of decisions that led them to have more oversight over you than they've ever had. The Patriot Act and Homeland Security allowed the government to meddle in your personal business more than they ever have in my lifetime. Now, I am a conspiracy theorist when it comes to that. And, and I remember the curly-haired Kentucky senator saying they're going to be reading your emails, they're going to be tracking your every movement. Uh, we talked about college football this morning, and I told Rev at some point in time today, I will get a an ad from some uh, aftermarket ticket provider about the Florida State-Clemson uh, game or the USC-Mississippi State game. Uh, you know, my phone is spying on me. I think the government allows that phone uh, to spy on me. Now, once again, I'm not on board with the debate about what a 250,000-pound projectile running 450 miles an hour can or cannot do to steal. But I am very much a believer in post-9-11, the government made a series of decisions that allowed them to keep closer tabs on you. And they like that. They absolutely enjoy the authority they have in making sure they are keeping tabs and, and track with where you're going what you're doing, what what sort of um, uh, I don't know, mundaneness or not exist in your in your life. Let's get let's take let's take a break. I don't want to get too far behind. Got a short break here, so caller, don't don't hang up. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Let's go to the phone. Anthony in North Carolina. Good morning. You're on the air. Hello. Okay. Uh-huh. No, Anthony. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. You're next. Hey, Mike. Hey. <laughs> and I'm I'm loving these conspiracy theories. I'd like to add to this a little bit. Uh, the uh, back in 1990, I happened to be in uh, Atlanta. I was taking my wife to visit her female relatives up there. And uh, they were all busy and shopping, doing female things. And I didn't know what to do. And a friend of mine said, hey, uh, Tom Clancy's giving a seminar downtown. And, uh, you want to go down there and uh, see what uh, they have to say about those techno novels? And uh, I said, yeah, I, I like his books. So I took on, uh, we went down there, scooted down there. And uh, Clancy and a bunch of others, I think uh, Jim Brown and, and different uh, uh, techno authors were uh, 
giving a speech, and Clancy, was, they started, got off on terrorism, and uh, they were discussing it, and he, he said they, uh, he said the uh, whole thing is, I, he said the terrorists are going to do something really awful. It's just a matter of when they do it. He said like the uh, guys that they'd already tried a couple of times to uh, blow up the trade center with uh, van trucks of, of explosives and almost explosives at that time. And he said uh, they won't give up. They'll, they'll keep on until they get it. And he said the best way to take it down, though, if somebody really wanted to, was is to uh, light uh, light a jet fuel fire three quarters of the way up the building, and he said uh, that the heat from the jet fuel will uh, uh, reduce the tensile strength of the steel to the point where it collapses on itself. He Clancy said that, mapped it out, said uh, he said well. Uh, and uh, the other guys asked, well, how in the world would you get that much jet fuel up there? He said, oh, just hijack uh, some uh, airliners that were fully fueled and uh, run them into the side of the building. And uh, that would do it. And that was 1990. Well, uh, three years later, they, they two or three years later, they they tried again and uh, blew some concrete up down underneath, but it didn't affect the building. But then come nine one one, and uh, boom, it was like I, uh, it was like Kent, uh, Clancy was a prophet or something to to me. And I, I'm sure there's a video of that uh, seminar he and these other writers gave back in nineteen ninety, the summer of nineteen ninety. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. You know, when you go back and look at the Patriot Act, do we have a call? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go to the phone. Yeah, Anthony, uh, hopefully he's back on with us. Hey, Anthony, you there? Yeah, fellas. Oh, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, first of all, I want to say, Breeze, you finally waking up, my brother. You finally waking up. Ken, I want to say, when it comes to COVID, you gave you deserve an A+. Plus. You taught me stuff that I did not know about, and you kept me informed. I got to tell you, my man, when it comes to 9-11, you get an F-plus, man. I can tell you didn't do your homework. The kind of man you are that dig and follow the money trail and do that kind of stuff, I was waiting on you to, to jump on 9-11 and ride with it, but I can tell you didn't do your homework on 9-11. If, if, if you start digging on 9-11, Ken, really, I don't want you to, because if you do with your mouth, it might pull you off the air. And I'd rather <laughs> hear you every day than not hear you. So, But so, just do your homework on 9-11, Ken, and you'll be totally... So first of all, a building can't fall inside its footprint in free fall speed from a building hitting the top of it. The bottom of it has to be taken out. But just do your homework, Ken, and I'll keep listening. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate that. I mean, that, that's an interesting – I mean, some people are loud and proud about their belief that the government was involved in some way, shape, or form. I'm not. I mean, I, I just can't get there. Uh, I just – to begin with, I don't think the government's competent enough to pull it off. I mean, they were indeed the ones behind um, 9-11. And, it's, and as little faith as I have in our government, I, I just I just can't buy that. I, I just don't believe the government of my – if I believe that, I got to move. I mean, if I believe I live in a nation where its government would allow 3,000 people to die, innocent people going to work every day, people boarding an airplane, I, I just can't. I mean, I, I can't do that. Um, I'm getting texts now about Building 7, you know, explain Building 7. I can't. I mean, I, I'm not professing to be able to explain everything. 
I mean, I do think it's a curious debate to have about the, um, you know, the, the optic of seeing the plane fly into the building. And I don't think Trump's ever said he thinks the government of the United States conspired with Saudi Arabia. You know, I mean, th- 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 that's an entangled debate, a very entangled um, debate. Now, now, post 9-11, did the government abuse its authority? Did they misrepresent the Patriot Act in particular? Yes. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It was intended to obstruct and prohibit terrorism. What we found out, it was a big data gathering program. I mean, the, the, the federal government collects your emails, my emails, your text messages, my te- I don't care what they tell you. I mean, I'm sure of that. They've abused the privilege, and, and they hide behind the guise of we're protecting American citizens from, from terrorist activities. These correspondences, you know, between terrorist organizations. That's why we got to implement the Patriot Act so we can monitor data and we can police the Internet and we can make sure this group's not talking to that group. Okay, count me in. But but the Patriot Act had broad discretion and it ended up being a kind of a grab all, a power grab for for the federal government. But but to 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 convince me that the government that that of the of the country that I live in allowed innocent people to get on an airplane, believing they were going to wherever it is they're going, and and innocent people to enter a building, and the government gave the green light to allow that to happen. If that's true, I need to move. I mean, I don't know where to move. Because I have very little faith or, or you know, in, in trust in our government. I mean, I, I've said that morning after morning after morning. In fact, uh, one of my motivations are to what? I mean, I've said this a hundred times, to convince you to be very skeptical of your government. I mean, I think that's one of my jobs, to convince you. I didn't say to not believe anything they ever say. I didn't say to revolt or rebel. I just said my job, as I perceive it, is to talk about subjects and issues that convince you the government doesn't always tell you the truth. And you, as a, as a law-abiding American citizen, need to be highly skeptical of government officials and whether they're telling you the truth or not. But if I believe that the government of the nation that I call home allowed that to happen and was complicit in allowing that to happen, I need to find a new country. I mean, I, I need to, to, to move somewhere else. I, I just can't get there. I'm sorry. Josh? Yeah, and I was going to say, I think this is a good example of it's okay to say you don't know sometimes. Because, you know, like there's there's a couple things about the official story that I find Personally, I find a little bit like, huh, they found their wallets in the debris. But like, but then does that therefore mean I have to believe in holographic airplanes and that this was planned in one day? No, there, there's a lot of things that could be going on. This, this is an example of a very complex issue. And, you know, it's okay not to know. And, you know, on top of that, you could, you could dedicate a lot of time and a lot of energy looking into, is this a conspiracy? Did the U.S. government plan this? And a lot of people nowadays do believe that, but what has that accomplished? Who's been overthrown because now a couple, you know, people believe it? What percentage of people believe that? I have no idea. I mean, is, is it more or less than 5%? I'd say more. Okay, more than more or less than 20%. Mm. It's got to be less than twenty percent, probably. I mean, less, it's got to yeah. be less than twenty percent. Now, I believe of of well-read and somewhat informed Americans, I think they 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 they've seen the Patriot Act for what it is. 
the, 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 the government argued, and I went back and looked, a lot of Democrats voted against it. That's pretty wild. I mean, no Republicans voted against it. Republican president, Patriot Act is kind of, um, I mean, once again, pitched as this, uh, we're going to obstruct, we're going to obstruct the ability for terrorist organizations to communicate with one another. We're going to monitor their communique when, when they talk to one another, we're going to know exactly what they're saying to one another, but it didn't turn. I mean, it didn't stop there. And Rand Paul had an epic rant against the Patriot Act. Now it's been renewed. It's been modified. It's been, uh, it is, I mean, they'll argue it's been somewhat watered down. You know, the, 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 the freedom loving or the freedom caucus and some others have, you know, resisted the renewal of the, uh, of the Patriot Act, but I, I just can't get there. D- do I have, I mean, Rev and I were talking during the break about the, um, I mean, I, you're not going to convince me holographic airplanes. I mean, I just, uh, that, that's crazy. That's nonsense. Stop with that. Uh, just because you believe in conspiracy, that means everything's a damn conspiracy. Those planes flew into those buildings and innocent people died. And if you believe otherwise, then I don't know how to get to you. I mean, I don't. I don't understand how to get there with you. I mean, if you believe that those 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 those, those buildings were designed to fall by the government, there was some detonation of explosive devices that you know allowed those buildings to fall upon themselves, and the you know the planes were part of the prop or part of the game or scheme. I, I'm sorry, I just I, for the life of me, I can't get anywhere close to that. I mean, I just can't. Now, if you're trying to convince me that post 9-11, the government took advantage and they implemented the Homeland Security and uh, the, the division of government known as Homeland Security and the Patriot Act to keep closer tabs on you, yeah, I mean, I, I'll buy that in a skinny minute. Is that a conspiracy? Well, compared to the other, it's not. I mean, compared to the other, it's not. And I, I, I think it's a bit insulting. Um to the people who died and the tributes we pay on 9-11 to, to, to say it never happened. And those, those weren't real airplanes and the buildings were dead. Now, that's just, that's a bizarre argument to make. And then once again, there are theories out there that say things like that. But I think there are very few Americans. I think the more serious debate is, is how do we stop the government from having access to our private information? I mean, to me, that's kind of sort of um, what, what I'd like to focus on. The, the government, in the heat of the moment, and once again, fear being the driver, right? I mean, the American people were afraid. There are more of these sales. There are more of these terrorist, terrorist organizations. They will come after more Americans. They will, uh, you know, fly more planes into more buildings. We've got to do something. And Congress acted. And out of that came the Patriot Act. And I think that has been one of the largest abuses our government has ever had in accessing information they have no business with. Let's go to the phone. Rachel and Florence, good morning. You're on the air. Hey, morning. Um, just a quick comment. The gentleman two callers ago referenced that it was a Tom Clancy uh, book. It wasn't. It was actually Nelson DeMille. He wrote three different books on the subject, uh, Night, uh, Nightfall, Lionsgate, and one in cooperation with a U.S. Airways pilot named Tom Block. It's called Mayday. You can get all three of them, but these were all published about 10 years in advance of 9-11. Thank you. Appreciate that. But I still don't know what you're saying. I mean, I don't know. Where does that lead? I mean, is, 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 are there prophets amongst us? Are there fortune tellers? Are there people who know what the future holds? That's just, I mean, that, that's too out there for me. And I'm telling you guys, you got to get out there to be too out there for me. <laughs> I mean, you got to get out there to be too out there for me. 
that is just too out there for me to even begin to consider as a legitimate story. And this is a debate I've had with my dad. Um, he he talks about something called predictive programming, where if you go back, you can see uh, things in media and television where the, the Twin Towers get attacked. And But there's a million, almost any disaster movie that has San Francisco in it has the Golden Gate Bridge getting destroyed. It's it's sensational in television and entertainment to have the Statue of Liberty get destroyed or all these like landmarks get destroyed. Let's you take know? let's take a break. Phones are ringing. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Joe in Hartsville. Morning, Joe. Yeah. Good morning, guys. You know, a lot of times the government creates a lot of conspiracy theories on its own. I mean. They they have these little fiefdoms in the security agencies that track certain stuff and they don't share it because they want to be the ones to get credit for it. And I think that's what happened with these terrorists that came in. Some agencies knew about it and they found out they didn't share the information. But I know as a working in steel mills, Steel melts around 2,200 degrees. And if you notice, all three or four airplanes that were taken to to do what they did were long-haul flights from New York to L.A. or Oakland or whatever. They were all long-haul flights, and they had just taken off. So they were loaded with fuel. And they happened to go into the buildings about 30 stories from the top, which is optimal to take out the structural steel beams. And once those beams melted, like I say, 2,200 degrees, jet fuel can get. I've seen buildings burn with grease vats that cook chicken. And uh, the W24 beams would melt like spaghetti and just fall down from the roof. So 2,200 degrees isn't hard to accumulate with that much jet fuel. So once those beams melted and then the whole floors on top came down and just created a big shock, and those buildings aren't designed to to take that kind of force, it would be like a 20 on the Richter scale for an earthquake. So it just imploded on itself. So they kind of knew what they were doing. But I remember the day before Rumsfeld coming out and saying that the military had misplaced or miss, you know, and you never heard about it again, over a trillion dollars. It was closer to two trillion, but they couldn't find it. And so then... You know, it's like everything else, but the government does a lot of this to themselves, and I think it's like, you know, the the hunting dog out, you're hunting a deer, and then you see the squirrel, or you don't want to focus on the deer squirrel, and the dog runs over here. So a lot of this is, is to keep the American people in turmoil and conspiracy theories. The only problem is, we're running out of conspiracy theories. 
Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Well, let me ask you this. If you would consider, if you wanted to consider for a moment some of the conspiracy theories. But do you consider that to be be a reasonable alternative? I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm on the record. I don't don't buy into that one bit. But if you did, what's the motive? I mean, what what is the, why would the government be involved in doing something like that? To start a war. Oh. I believe there is more. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the 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 reaction to the action was exactly what you would expect the military-industrial complex to be a part of. Um, but that, once again, I'm on the record. I give consideration to the government being involved in 9/11 zero credibility. I mean, if there were a way to give it negative credibility, I would. Some disagree with me. I understand that. I don't think it's twenty percent. I mean, there are a few people out there who believe the government conspired and was a, a participant in in 9-11. I give that zero credibility. But after the fact that the buildings were attacked and America's homeland was not as invincible or indestructible as we imagined ourselves, it gave the military-industrial complex motivation to be as aggressive as they've ever been and they were. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Next thing you know, 20 years down the road, you're trying to figure out a way to get out of a quagmire that that kind of got away from us. I think I think Jeff said yesterday, um, I agreed with Afghanistan. G- kind of interesting. Jeff and I have a similar take on, on 9-11. Um, I agree with going to Afghanistan. I, I believe that America has to seek revenge in some way, shape, or form. Um, I, I, I buy into that. I mean, you know, we believed that Afghanistan was harboring the training grounds for Osama bin Laden and uh, the Taliban. And we believe they were largely responsible for what happened on 9-11. Go get those SOBs. Hunt them like dogs and kill them, as many as you can. But it morphed into something different, and it always, as it always does. And... I mean, does Raytheon make more money if we just invade Afghanistan, or does Raytheon make more money if we Afghanistan and Iraq? And if we're trying to promote security in the Middle East, um, yeah, I mean, I, I see the that there there's a, a quantifiable reason. I mean, if you're a conspiracy theorist to the extreme and you do believe that government was a part of this, then I mean, the motivation would be the military-industrial complex and the advancement of war. And wars get expensive, and wars required enormous increases in the funding of military and and defense budgets. And it's, I mean, how many times have I said this, Rev? Uh, money's the answer. Now, what's the question? And you don't follow the money some of the time, most of the time, but rather all oh, of uh, the time. So, if you were looking for a reason to fly planes into a building, you know, to 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 create, I don't know, anxiety and distrust amongst the American people about people, you know, folks of the Middle East and fanatical Islam. You know, I remember the debate about fanatical Islam. Is there or is there not fanatical Islam? Um, and I remember ascribing to a notion, and this is a bit offensive, but I'll say it. Um, I've never argued that all Muslims are terrorists, but for a long time it seemed all terrorists were Muslims. You know, so, so I think you've got to distinguish fanatical Islam from Main Street. Um, you know, Islam. And, you know, that's, I guess that's what we try to do at that point in time. But, but I want to go on the record and, and I'm, you know, I mean, we've had callers disagree. I've had a couple of people text me that disagree. I give 
the conspiracy theory that the government was behind 9-11, zero, zero serious consideration. I believe that Rand Paul is over the target when he talks about government abuse of the Patriot Act and what Homeland Security was intended to be and what it morphed into becoming. Um, That's just the nature of government. I mean, if you give the government the green light to have more control, they'll normally take you up on it. And, And I think Rand Paul's concerns were valid then, and I think they've proven to be, um, you know, something we should all be concerned about. Uh, obstructing terrorism is different than, you know, spying on the American people. Back in a few. This is normally the time of the week I introduce Dr. Will Bolt, history chair, Francis Marion University, but the doors are swinging off their hinges when we start talking about the conspiracy <laughs> of 9-11. He says, I can't put my job at risk. I can't go down that, I can't go down that road with you. I'm on the record, and I, I want to reiterate. I am in no way, shape, or form believing that the government conspired with anybody to allow 9-11 to happen. I mean, I I can't get there. Do I believe the government has killed people? Yes. Do I believe the government had a hand in uh, the uncertainty surrounding JFK's death? Yes. Uh, I'm familiar with Ruby Ridge, Waco, Texas. I'm not, I mean, I've, I've said it a million times. I'll say it a million and one. America ain't no angel by any stretch of the imagination, and the American government likes getting its way. And it has an unbelievable amount of power and authority in getting its way. And guess what? It normally gets its way. And But but I just, for the life of me, I can't get there. I, I can easily get to a place where abuse of the Patriot Act, you know, um, an expansion of homeland security to places that have, you know, allowed us to be less free, less secure, our information to be, you know, uh, to, to ourselves and ourselves alone, that, that is absolutely and totally legitimate. But, but you know, holographic airplanes and, you know, uh, buildings being detonated, I, I just, I respect you if you do, but I have zero, zero interest in um, that being uh, promoted as the truth. Uh, let's go to the phone. Dr. Bolt's with us. He didn't run out of the building. I, I'm telling you, uh, uh, I'm being dishonest when I said he ran out of the door. But um, I would understand if he did because this is where it gets out of there. I mean, this is where yeah. it really does get out there. But but I got to believe, Dr. Bolt, that throughout America's history, there have been times we get out there a bit. Yeah, perhaps. And again, I've never – I've heard all the, the conspiracy theories. That, and as a – Patriot loving American. I, I got a little misty eyed yesterday when I saw a guy out there waving the American flag out there on on nine eleven. Ignorance is bliss. I, if I go down that rabbit hole, and you can easily find it on you know, you know, if I go on and start to connect these dots, it's going to destroy my faith in what I think of this this great country. So again, I'd rather just I, I, I'm not convinced. And there's a lot of people people I'm very good friends with who believe a lot of these things and. If you have the right to believe it, but again, I'm not, I'm not there yet. And do I don't, you I don't want to be there. This, and, and this is unfair to you, but I'm doing it anyway. That's fine. Do you believe that people who consider themselves to be thinkers? I mean, you're an academic. Naturally, you'd be a thinker. Um, I have a busy head. I don't know if that's being a thinker <laughs> or not, but, but I can't turn it off. I mean, you know, yeah. people like us would be more likely to pursue conspiracies. Is that fair to say? I no, mean, if right, you're somebody yeah. who takes things at face value, that's just the way you are. It doesn't mean you're dumb. I'm not saying no, that no. at all. Some people just are, are comfortable taking things exactly. at face value. Others go, eh, I don't know. I mean, let's dig a little bit. 
and and there's a lot to dig in now that the internet that, is oh absolutely i mean it's it's I'm so like, easy to get the sure. information well i mean i i'm like i'm like bolt i mean if i if i wanted to give this consideration i could google you know was 911 employed by the government yeah. And there are really smart people out there. Smarter than able, us. Yeah. yeah it's really able smart. to articulate their opinion. And, and next thing you know, I'm texting my buddy going, Bolt, you read this yeah, thing yeah. I'm check, reading about. Check, check this website out. So I'm a little bit like you. And, and I mean what I said. If I learned that, that the American right. government had a hand in 9-11, I'd move. I don't know where I'd move, but but I'd have to get out of here. Because I, I just think, I believe the government terribly mishandled Waco. I think the government terribly mishandled Ruby Ridge. I think the government probably knows more than it's led us to believe about JFK. I'm unbelievably skeptical of my government, but but there's 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 there are bridges that are too far, far, and for me that's one. Let's go to the phone. Daphne and Dylan. Good morning. You are on. Good morning, guys. I never thought that the government conspired to kill almost three thousand of our American citizens, but however, I did have questions. I wanted to know, never got an answer, whether these terrorists were illegals or whether they were approved by our government to come into our country. I also wondered why that uh, none of the cells that had to be set up as a support system prior to 9-11 were never pursued or prosecuted. So those are the things that I never had answered. we were talking earlier about Elon Musk, uh, uh, and I, I got, to, got to tell you what I've, I've questioned about this. Our taxpayers got him started up in taxpayers' dollars, got him started up in business. Obama loved him. Okay, then I would like to know where are his Teslas being manufactured? Where are his battery materials being made? And uh, when, when uh, uh, he purchased Twitter, he became an outlier to the people who loved him. So now SpaceX, uh, and some of our tax dollars go to SpaceX, now the DOJ is, is <laughs> suing SpaceX uh, because they won't hire illegals. So answer those questions. I certainly can't. Thank you, Daphne. I mean, Elon's a complicated guy. I mean, he's unbelievably, he's not an ideologue. I mean, I, I do believe that he's somewhat of a free speech absolutist. I mean, I, I think buying Twitter was a, a kind of, um, I mean, if, if someone had enough money to buy anything they wanted, that, that to me, that's an example. I mean, if you are a, if you're someone worth billions and billions and billions and billion, hundreds of billions of dollars, and you're, you're kind of, um, you are a free speech, at least a free speech enthusiast, maybe even an absolutist. That there's a lot of um, there there's a lot of information that leads you to believe Twitter was not as fair to all sides of the yeah. political debate. I mean, it would be natural for you to be inclined to be interested uh, in it's, it's a, it's in purchasing statement. that. No, no question about yeah. it. It's very much a political statement. But I think we mistaken Elon Musk at times for being on one team or the other. I mean, I, I don't think Elon wakes up every day. Uh, is this a conservative orthodoxy? Is this the liberal orthodoxy? Um, Dr. Bolt, we talked earlier this morning about— He's more, he's more libertarian. Yeah, but very much a libertarian. I mean, I would argue somewhat of an anarchist, and, to, and, to be honest right, with you. Every, yeah. every end of the spectrum. And, and a lot of these tech guys are somewhat—especially I mean, the ones that become uh, unbelievably wealthy. 
I mean, they, they can adhere to whatever they choose sure. to ad- adhere to. There's no guidelines. A good, yeah. good caller nice. of ours and a good friend, Larry, on, on the show. Larry said a couple of years back about Peter Thiel, uh, I, I don't trust the guy, but so far. Why? Because he's a multi-multi-billionaire, and you just don't trust multi-multi-billionaires, uh, but so far. But it is interesting, in, in the world of conservative politics, we find figures like Peter Thiel and Elon Musk favorable yeah. at times, and then we despise them the next moment. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, no, no. the thing that Musk did, and we're talking about UAW negotiating with um, Ford and GM, they're really negotiating with the White House. What Musk did was create a technology company that eventually built cars. Yeah. He's got a competitive advantage because he's competing against car companies that are trying to get into the technology building and they're finding it a lot more expensive and they cumbersome want. than they ever yeah. uh, imagined it would be. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Joe in Florence. Good morning. You're on the air. Uh, yeah, Ken, uh, I totally agree with you. I don't believe that there was any uh, complicity on behalf of the government on 9 11. I do think the way I can answer it is uh, on the sliding scale of leadership. Um, a, a lot of the leadership in America is the proverbial uh, closing the barn door after the horse is out. So on one end of the spectrum, you got a guy like, uh, you know, Joe Biden, who's looking at his watch or going to bed. And further up the scale, you got a guy like uh, George W., who puts his arm around the the fire captain and stands with people on the, the side of the, the trade towers. But I don't think we have anybody that's demonstrating the kind of leadership that the, the textbooks say is <laughs> hypothetically great leadership, which is basically not only capitalizing on the opportunities for your people, but preventing and protecting them from the unthinkable. And so, you know, the fact that Homeland Security is not created until after the FBI and the CIA don't work together on 9-11, or the fact that the, the levees in, in New Orleans are not built till after Hurricane Katrina is an example of we're not having the kind of leadership that we need. Um, in the case of 9-11, uh, you know, I often talk about the fact that what were the, the security directors of American Airlines doing? You know, wh- why wasn't there more security on the cockpit doors why had they not trained, you know, the the uh, airline, uh, you know, attendants, the flight attendants to have a let's roll plan? If you know you're being hijacked, you know, why hadn't they thought about, you know, the way we can just storm the cockpit and, and, and crash the plane where we're only hurting the people on the plane as opposed to 2,000 others? So uh, it's easy to kind of to do the job after the fact, but I'm looking for leaders who can anticipate the unthinkable and put plans in place to mitigate it as much as possible. So I'm with you. I don't think it's a conspiracy, except it's just a lack of the kind of leadership that we're probably needing in the world right now. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Dr. Bolt, and, and what he's talking about is competency. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. just a degree of competency. I, I mean, in the private sector, and this is, I mean, this is not an insult to bureaucrats at all, but I understand that there's a difference in the two worlds. But, but if you're incompetent, irresponsible, inattentive, um, just bad at your job at the private sector, I mean, it, it finds you out. I mean, you, you know, you fail in business. I mean, you know, um, here's a good question. Why were some people allowed to get on a plane with box cutters? Yeah. 
Well, okay. I mean, who thought about that? Okay, why does an airplane pilot's cabin have Wide a plastic open. door? Yeah, you know, or a curtain? Uh, I mean, if you, if you're if you're a competent guy and you're in the business of air transportation, you kind of got to think, hey, it wouldn't be a good idea to let someone on a plane with box cutters and this pilot's cabin be secured by a plastic door. Mm -hmm. So now we've got this very secure way that pilots are in in the cabins, and you can't take box cutters on planes. Uh, I mean, there's a legitimacy to what Joe's talking about. You know, we're we're real good at overreacting after After the fact. After the fact. And um, it's 2020. Yeah. I mean, we... It was a, a just a colossal failure. We got caught with our pants down, and we sort of, yeah, you know, in, in the seventies, the eighties, this was kind of hijacking was sort of a cottage industry. It sort of went by the wayside, and we kind of were lax. Kind of, we let our guard down, and we we sadly got beat. And a lot of innocent people had to pay a, a terrible, terrible price for that. But Doctor Bolt, the game changer to me, and I want to be careful here. The game changer to me is Allah. I mean, if you ascribe to the notion. That that by flying this plane into this building and killing all these people, gain you greater yeah. favor with God. <laughs> yeah. I mean the infidels and Allah, and I mean to to me, I've always wondered. Okay, as a business guy, I think I understand how to keep people with box cutters out of cabins of airplanes. I mean, I'd, I'd build heavier doors. I'd probably have an easy a, remedy. Yeah, you know, right. some sort of guard on on. But 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 in all honesty, the game changer to me is when that person in that plane could care less about whether right, they committed. die or not. Yeah. I mean, you know, if they're on a suicide mission, I've always felt, okay, if Bolt's going to hijack this plane, but Bolt wants to leave with a suitcase of money, that's one thing. <laughs> if Bolt wants to hijack this care. plane and could care less whether he yeah. burns to smithereens and, and actually believes by, by the brainwashing of fanatical Islam that yeah. he's going to be rewarded uh, by, by vaporizing himself and these other people in a plane. That's, that's a hard. That's tough to combat. I, mean, I, yes. I don't know how you do right. that. How do you do that? I mean, I, I don't know how you well. stop someone who is not considering their own no. fate or, or well-being. Right. Well, during, during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln had a, a desk drawer full of assassination threats. And his advisors, cabinet members told him, you, you got to be very careful. You, you can't go out alone. And Lincoln said, if somebody wants to get me, they're going to get me. There's a thousand ways of getting a guy. I'm not, I'm not going to let my, this dictate and, and ruin my life. And there's simply nothing I can do. If somebody is that committed, so upset, there's no way uh, we can stop them. And so, yes, it, it is. If somebody, I don't know how you combat that. If somebody is willing to take their own life to make, to make that statement, it's, it's a, it's a powerful enemy to combat, unfortunately. And it changed the world. I mean, it, we live in a post nine 11 world. Right. No question Huge about difference. it. Let's go to the phone. Jim and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Jim. You're on the air. Hey guys, uh, you know, I, Ken, I, I, I'm ninety, I'm ninety percent there with you that I don't want to believe. And did you I say ninety or ninety nine? I'm, I'm, I'm vacillating between the two. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Somewhere between ninety and ninety nine. Right. Okay. But, but at the same time, what I see is a recurring history of small groups of government individuals who greatly benefit from war. And when you say you don't believe the government could be involved in that, I think that that's kind of twisting the narrative because government is such a high-level descriptor of so many different individuals and agencies. But would you say that it's possible that a small group (laughs) of, let's say, CIA agents 
who have a long history of interjecting themselves in, in geopolitical politics and overthrowing Iraqi um, democratically elected presidents and giving us the Ayatollah Khomeini that have ties to Saudi Arabia and allowed, you know, Osama bin Laden to flight back um, from Florida, as far as I know, that the joint surveillance system, all of the FAA long-range tracking radars just happened to be turned off that day. When you When you consider the amount of coincidences, you have to consider that something's amok. And that's that's really the distrust of the American people and the conspiracies that flow from this. Okay, let me ask so, you that. I mean, that, that, that's a logical argument to make. And yes, I mean, if I'm going to consider that that would be the road I go down, the intelligence community, not not the government in general, but, but certain fiefdoms within the intelligence community that may or may not have been motivated by, by the public's best interest or not. But but what what do we do if that's the case? I mean, if, if America's the greatest experience or the greatest experiment of man governing man in the history of our world, and it's and it's reduced to that, wh- where do we go? I mean, where do we go from there? I mean, if if you're a reasonable guy, I consider myself reasonable. Bolt's reasonable, but we'll we'll allow that to be put on the table as as an option or alternative. What does it say about America? And I am talking to generalities. I mean, you're right. America's 330 million people doing their thing, living their lives. You know, a lot of different opinions, a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different uh, priorities. But but, but there's got to be some, I don't know, some goodness we can hang on to. And if I believe that that is worth putting on the table, I don't know that I can continue to believe at its core America's good. That America at its core is good, despite evil actors infiltrating organizations and and using the leverage of the tools that are given to that organization to do harm. So the problem is that when you have people that you know Obama rescinded the ability for you know the CIA to to lie to the American people. So the the idea of limited hangout, the idea that. We'll admit to certain amounts while leaving out other parts to allow conspiracies to grow, to sow distrust in the government. Um, that's, I think that's at the core of the problem that we're facing today, is that everybody has such a mistrust of the government because literally there's a CIA agent at every single major news organization today you cannot trust 90% of what you read on the internet either because there's so many people who have a fear-based profit motive in YouTube and all of these places. So finding the truth is very hard. But for an old-school hacker like me, finding the truth is pretty darn easy. Um, and what, I, what my general overview of this is there were monumental failures of – you know, my my father was a Air Force, you know, nuclear launch technician with top security clearance, and he said the same thing. You know, gut check one hundred and one. How the hell could all of these different agencies fail so miserably at just finding a plane when Shaw Air Force Base right here could scramble some F-16s and then you know, fifteen minutes go shoot down any plane, but it manages to hit the Pentagon. That's an interesting, yeah, and, and I appreciate. It. I mean, that, that's the that's interesting to put on the table 
Um, I want to get back to that. Thank you for the call. Very interesting uh, back and forth there. And um, vacillating somewhere between 90 and 99% uh, sure that the government, and we do say the government in generality, government's a, you know, a big apparatus with a lot of different, um, yeah, no, no question about it. But but I, I want to take a, a break and come back with Dr. Bolt. And I want to ask about the level of skepticism yeah. and distrust people have in our government. Did that exist in early America? <laughs> and, and, and kind of when did all this skepticism, and is it healthy or not? I mean, I personally believe the more people skeptical of a government, the better government you get. I mean, when we, when we trust our government, just willingly uh, kind, of, kind of obligate ourselves to the company line, I, I think that's more dangerous than people having a high level of skepticism about whether the government's telling them the truth or not. 843-661-0937, back in a few. You know, a college professor would not risk coming on the show unless he's tenured. So, so I love putting uh, professors' jobs on the line, and I got to give Bolt credit; he keeps coming back for more. Um, did the Buffalo Bills play last night? Oh man! Oh just, man! Just stick that knife in and twist it, man. Yeah. yeah. And Aaron Rodgers gets hurt of the fourth play of the game. Yeah. We think it's an Achilles tendon injury. Yeah, bad. And if it's an Achilles injury at his age, it's tough to come yeah, back. From. It, it's tough to come back from. Um, so the yeah, and the Jets that. made an enormous investment. <laughs> in hopes of being a Super Bowl kind of team. But the Bills let them hang around longer than they than they should yeah, have. Yeah, they just uh, – just so many, <laughs> so many chances just to put them away. And you're right. As a Bills fan, you've you've seen that song and dance before, and you're you know, Texans. You, you know they're going to – is it going to be a muffed punt? They're going to be just a, a, a trick play the Jets are going to pull off. And sure enough, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man. And, and of course, typical Bills say, hey, we, we're going to kick a field goal to tie it. And then we're gonna go three and out, and then lose on a punt return. Yeah, it sucked. I was in bed, but I did see the, um, yeah. the highlights this morning. So, 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 Rev, I, you're gonna be my case study because I don't want to. I don't want to threaten a college professor's job. <laughs> okay. So you don't believe in in any way, shape, or form the government organized 9/11? No, never believed that. You believe the government dropped the ball in making sure some of the things that happened didn't happen. I believe it is likely that uh, the intelligence agencies didn't catch it or didn't yeah. communicate properly up the chain, so there wasn't an opportunity to to make a move to try to stop it. Incompetence or intentional? Incompetence. Okay. I mean, I, I'm with you. That That's yeah. exactly where I land. Now, now, some would say, I'll agree with you that the government didn't organize it. I'll agree with you that the government let a lot of things fall through the cracks that shouldn't have. But I believe the government intentionally allowed those things to fall through the cracks. I can't get there. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I can't yeah. get there. But but you would understand. I mean, that, yeah. To me, that's the. Uh, I know there's that, a lot that's of the steps taken to get yeah, to yeah. a place. I know very few people who believe in the holographic airplane. I mean, I think that's a pretty extreme position to hold. I know people who believe that the government allowed these things to fall through the cracks because they knew what the response would be. It would be Americans wanting revenge, and the next thing you know, Raytheon stocks up 300%, yeah. you know, so some of the military-industrial complex. Um, but when did all this skepticism, when did we become um, so conspiratorial about yeah, what our government's doing or not? It's probably just in the past 50, 75 years. Then. So why not in, in early American history? Government's just so small. I mean, the cabinet officials actually— Say that just, again. For us Jeffersonians. <laughs> the government is—I've I've said you the, the, the line it before. It couldn't conspire. Right. Jefferson thought that all you needed the government for was just to carry the mail. It's it's the cabinet officials administer over the, the departments themselves. Congress met for just a, a few months. 
And there'd be Congress would be out of session six, seven months of the time. The president would leave Washington, D.C. Jefferson left, went back to Monticello. Madison went back to, to Montpelier. His own, just a small, small government. There really wasn't anything to conspire about. And so, you know, you, you have some guys engaging in conspiracies. These are just sort of one-off singles, Aaron Burr. And there were conspiracies regarding the Lincoln assassination later on. But again, once the, the government is on steroids, increases exponentially after World War II to meet the Soviet threat, you know, this is when we start to see this. And it's no accident that this is when you get the Kennedy assassination thrown in there as well. So, so what do we make of that? I mean, if we are a, I mean, you, you and I would agree, early American history is the formation of man governing fellow man with the consent of casting yeah. a ballot. People I mean, are sovereign. Yes, that, that, that's kind of what we are about. Fundamentally, that's where we are. That's what um, separated us from the majority of monarchs right. and dictatorships no. uh, around the world. But but what does it say about a, a a country that requires men to trust other men to be in charge of government when it seems we have very little trust or faith? Right, and I would think these conspiracy theories, if you will, have just increased exponentially. We sort of like maybe like 20, 30 years ago, eh, that crazy uncle over there, stay away from her to Thanksgiving. Well, no, it's, it's not just that crazy uncle. The, the cousins, lots of people, and you're, you're, you're drawn into that conversation as well. You're kind of going down those rabbit holes. And again, why, are we, why do we gravitate towards them now more than, than ever? Again, we've, it's a lack of distrust, a lack of faith in our government across the board. And so the, the ground is ripe for more and more people to kind of come in and and who knows? Maybe we're going to find out. Maybe somebody else is going to have the the last laugh and say, "I told you so." You know, Boltonard were sort of dismissing these, and it's going to go out and say, "Yeah, here's the here's the smoking gun." Do you kind of land where Rev and I yeah, land I when it comes to again? Like I said, I can't I can't get there that the government would allow something, or that again, I think it was just a, a series of mistakes. It, it, it's kind of like the the, the bills came. Up. Several things had to line up for them to lose. And the, the terrorists, sadly, just kind of caught lightning in a bottle. There were just so many people maybe just asleep at the switch. If just one individual at the right time kind of connected the dots, it perhaps could have been stopped in its infancy. Uh, sadly, it wasn't. And again, we and as you know before, the, the Patriot Act is the big, big, the crowning result of 9-11. And that just certainly opened up a whole new can of worms. What would the debate been like? relating i mean obviously we didn't have twitter and facebook and tiktok yeah. and instagram and all these other sorts of things so uh, you, you mentioned a second ago i mean i'll probably get an ad for whatever it is we're talking about here in the next 30 minutes on my facebook or twitter yeah. account but what could you imagine I'm, hypothetically i mean if um if someone in the federal government introduced the patriot act you know back in the day <laughs> Um, because they were big on the First Amendment. I mean, they're, you know, and then the right to privacy. And, you know, uh, w- what can you imagine that debate being like? Well, Andrew Jackson would have been polishing off his dueling pistols. Uh, for sure. He's like, you ain't doing this on my watch. Uh-uh, man. Let's, uh, I'll meet you at 20 paces, right? You know, n- name the spot. Uh, probably would have been laughed. It just laughed out of the out of the room. And this was just a, this is a direct violation of so many civil liberties, rights that we just are, are, are sac- sanctified here in the United States uh, of America. Uh, The government passed a Sedition Act uh, in 1798, making it a crime to criticize. And Jefferson said, well, when you can no longer criticize the government, you've ceased to be a free and an independent citizen. And ironically enough, the guy who was first convicted under that Sedition Act, uh, they had a 4th of July, they fired a cannon, July 4th, 1798, 
And some drunken guy said, I hope that hits President John Adams in his rear end. And that was enough to convict the guy and send him to jail. And so one of the first things Jefferson did was get rid of this. Uh, We ain't going to have this on my watch. Had another sedition act uh, in 1917 uh, during World War I. And so sort of the theme throughout American history is when we're kind of scared or nervous during the Civil War, right? We suspended habeas corpus, right? Started just jailing dissidents. When we're scared, we kind of allow our our civil liberties to be curtailed or taken away. And certainly the Patriot Act was another example of this. And once that toothpaste is out of the tube, it's it's tough to get it back in there. Once you lose that right, uh, it's tough to get it back. That's interesting. Very, very good analogy there. Let's go to the phone. Someone's on. Linda and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Linda. Oh, good morning. Well, I lean the other way. I think we were complicit in it. And that just based on our history of what we've already done. We can't say the whole government was involved in it, but fractions of the government more than likely have been involved in. And you look at our history from how the Indians were mis- mistreated and lied to, the Japanese being forcing the concentration camp. You can call them what you want, but it's a concentration camp at the end of the day. Um, black folks in the 40 mules. Mysteriously got taken away. So, yeah, not all of our government, but certainly part of our government was involved in it. And my husband always used to say that the the way that the Trade Center come down, he just didn't believe planes brought it down. And I'm going to leave it like like that. But, yes, I'm for the government being involved in it. Y'all have a great day. Thank you. Appreciate that. I want to conclude. Got about three or four minutes here. You're from Buffalo. Yeah. I think that's in the state of New York. Um, I mean, a lot of people believe New York City is the state of New York. It's not. New York City is New York City. Obviously, it is the population center in the state of New York. Buffalo is on the lake side. Right, the western uh, part. Of New York, the western side. Eight hours from New York City. Yeah, eight hours. That's pretty wild. I mean, it's, you know, eight hours from New York City. But, but, I mean, where were you 9-11-2001? And what do you remember as a New Yorker? (laughs) I mean, you would be a New Yorker. Yeah. And when we say New York, we automatically think of New York City, but it's just a big state uh, yep. and densely populated. But but nine eleven two thousand one, where were you, and what <laughs> memories? Uh, I was I was frying burgers at McDonald's. That was my my job. Uh, I hadn't started graduate school. I was all about to the next year, and we we heard about what was happening, and the nobody was coming in to the restaurant. And I said, you don't need me. So I I, I just said, I'm getting out of here. I'm going home. And I you know, watched most of it, uh, sadly, on television. Uh, we had a driveway being poured that day at the house. And they, they, they rode in 9-11-2000. We are supposed to have the driveway poured all throughout summer, but they just never did it. And that was the day that they, they finally did it. Uh, it was very, very nervous. I mean, obviously, we weren't in any threat in Buffalo. We didn't have any family members there. But it was it was it was, it was riveting. You couldn't step away uh, from the television, and it just it was just a, a surreal moment. And I still get emotional. Yesterday, when they rebroadcast some of it, and you you've seen it how many times? You know that the plane's going to hit, but you're always maybe this this time it's going to miss. And sadly, it it never does. And and there's nothing more. You know, at, at the football game last night, when you see eighty thousand New Yorkers, and there are a lot of Bills fans there. You get, I get chills in my spine when you hear them. The, the USA chant uh, comes up, and certainly there was a, a great time when the country did come together. Uh, lots of people in Buffalo were around, out on the street corners, waving American flags. 
uh, post 9-11. Just, uh, th- that's maybe what always sticks out in my mind. So what do New Yorkers think of New York City? And that is New Yorkers who don't live in New York yeah. City. There's always been sort of a, a love-hate relationship. It's like that's where our that's where our tax dollars go, and they're hey we're they're the brunt of our jokes. We like to make fun of them, but a, a lot of that kind of stopped after 9/11. They they really took one on the on the chin uh, for all of us, and so you know maybe I give them give them the benefit of the doubt moving forward. And I'm upset that the Bills lost, but you know, a lot of guys there who who lost family members they l- let them have that night. But, but the point is, and let me elaborate, New York, Buffalo is much more like here oh, than yeah. Buffalo yeah. is like New York City. Rust Belt, uh, blue-collar uh, area, you know, very, very rough and tumble. Uh, it's an old steel town for sure. And, and the bills are pretty much all that reminds people that Buffalo is is a city and that we're still we're still out there and we're still rolling. We don't have a baseball team. we got a hockey team. But who cares about hockey uh, in the United States anymore? So as the bills go, that's pretty much how – how everybody in Buffalo goes, and there is just a a fanatical devotion. You know, there's a bunch of people calling in sick right now. A bunch of people just very very upset. Uh, a lot of people probably contemplating uh, self immolating at the 50 yard line of the Bills Stadium. So it's we, we live and die by the Bills. It, it's tough, man. Good deal. Good to see you. Hey, thanks, man. Good Thank luck to the Gamecocks this yeah. weekend. Yeah, good luck thanks, to the Gamecocks this weekend uh, and next weekend, but not so much the following weekend. We still got a trip to Knoxville, yeah. and Tennessee oh, yeah. has payback on their and, mind. And it's been circled for a year. Uh, I, I can imagine. <laughs> we'll take a break. We'll be back thanks. in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. Spent a good bit of the morning rehashing um, 9-11, uh, where the nation was September 10, 2001, where it is today, September 12, 2023. I mean, I've been conditioned to believe I grew up in a post-Second World War world. Uh, I buy into that. I ascribe to that. Um, But a lot of my life since 9-11 has been a post-9-11 world. Patriot Act, Homeland Security, military interventions. I mean, uh, Middle East. It's just been been one. It's been kind of in the same vein, but more specific to one region of the world and what our commitments or interests are in that particular um, region of the world. One of the issues we pay close attention to and we'll be, um, we'll be having a great debate in, in American 2024 about the, the legitimacy of the 2020 presidential election or not. I mean, I've said it as a Republican, I would much rather see Trump if he's the, in, the, the inevitable nominee I'd much rather see him talking about inflation, you know, uh, so, some of the other problems facing American families today but he's going to be forced to talk about the 2020 election because of the indictment, the pending trials. Um, I hope he does a better job this time than he did um, last time. But there are some experts out there that believe the states need to pony up. They need to spend more in making sure the 2024 elections are secure. Uh, Republicans and Democrats, technology and data security expert, the founder of Dark Box Security Systems, Andrew Sternkey is with us. Andrew, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me. So are we insinuating that state and local governments aren't investing enough to secure or make sure the elections are secure? I mean, a a, a lot of states are um, spending money, but, you know, unfortunately, in the area of cybersecurity, you're always having to spend more and more money. 
um, you know, attacks are always evolving, and, and that's the problem. And, and the other issue, too, is that, um, you know, a lot of these elections, especially here at the, the national level, um, you know, they're all run at the county level. And so the county uh, governments really need support uh, from the state to have the funding to make sure that the voting process is secure. Give us an example, if you don't mind, and if you're willing, at cybersecurity affecting the outcome of the election or impugning the integrity of an election. Well, the, the good news is that a, uh, a voting machine has never been hacked in an actual election. Okay, that's the good news. Um, but the bad news is that the election process has been tampered with and when i say has been tampered with is you know look at all the cases where we have uh, voter registration databases that have been hacked um and so, so so that's the concern is that you know are are some of these voter registrations are they actual legitimate and so these are the kind of things that you know we need to uh, take a hard look at and really come to a fundamental a standard across the whole nation. And, you know, that starts at the federal level and, and then trickles down uh, through the state and local. Is there a price tag? I mean, th- th- there are estimates out there. I mean, I've read that, you know, um, the presidential election costs somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 billion to conduct um, statewide, locally, as you said, local election commissions are in charge. But is there, I mean, do we have any idea how much more we need to invest in making sure that our um our public have faith in the election process. I mean, honestly, probably the safe number is just to basically double it, um, because you know it, we like to think about you know the that dark hooded hacker um, trying to hack into the voting machines. That's really not the issue um, because there's three specific areas that we need to focus on: is the voter registration process the voting process itself and the voter um, for hacks. And so within the actual voting process is we need to make sure that there's physical security for those actual voting machines. Um, because a lot of these voting machines, uh, the good thing is they're not part of a network, so you can't remote into it. However, if there is an individual with criminal intent who goes in and actually physically tampers with that voting machine, that can actually have an outcome on an election process. Is it fair? I mean, my, it's not a criticism. My concern is how few of us really understand the technology associated with securing data and, and elections as a result of. Have we dehumanized this to the point that only a few people, such as yourself, understand what it takes and how to get to a uh, to, to a more integrity-filled election? Yes, yes. And, and, and you hit it right on the head is that, um, unfortunately, a lot a lot of people just don't understand uh, the concepts behind cybersecurity. And so that's part of the process is to educate the public as a whole and then also to educate the staffers who are working these various um election offices is that, you know, they're going to be attacked with, with phishing, social engineering tactics and whatnot. And so, uh, you know, education is extremely important, but at the county level, 
what really needs to happen is there needs to be a huge push of transparency of their local process to the voters to instill that faith, but then also to make sure that there is accountability for what is happening. And Andrew, part of the story, last question, uh, part of the story is, and I read a lot because I do 20 hours of conservative radio, and I, I'd like to know somewhat of what I, I'm talking about, but, but a lot of this is, I mean, I, I read these stories. This company is owned by a former Republican operative. You know, this security company is owned by a former Democrat operative. I mean, data is data is data. Security is security is security. But once you enter right. the political realm, it becomes partisan almost by necessity. It, it's probably unfair to your industry, but how do we clear that hurdle? How do you convince the American public that it's not a Democrat data gathering or a Republican security system? It, right. And and it just, it, it goes back to transparency. You know, if, if all these various companies, um, you know, local officials are running, um, the voting process, the companies that have the voting machines, as long as they're being transparent with everything, um, that that in itself will provide that accountability for the voters and, and the trust. Is it fair to say that if we don't make this investment, there will be more questions about the integrity of the election? Oh, there will just be more questions. Like, we will have actual... Um, hacks and, and and that's the concern because if it happens in just in one county you know somewhere in the u.s then you know unfortunately that will then be exploited not just by political parties on either side of the aisle but by uh, state actors of using that to you know so mistrust in our whole election process which would just be an extreme danger to our democracy. Well, explain. Andrew, thank you for your time, sir. Great. Thanks for having me. So, so is the takeaway, Josh Rev, is the takeaway to make elections more humanistic? I mean, as technology, um, something as sacred as the casting of a ballot, as personal as the casting of a ballot, have we... Ah, have we farmed that out to technology and security companies at the expense of the trustworthiness? I mean, you, you and I talked, we were in a meeting yesterday, Rev, and we talked about young people not having, you know, um, the skill required to interact with other human beings. Now, we're talking about the Internet. And, you know, um, I remember being concerned about my daughter when she would go in a room and stay in a room, and I'm like, she needs to be interacting with other people. Well, she is. Yeah, but it's on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and, and you know, and, and, and Twitter. And I, I'd rather her be, you know, c kind of um, in, in the most real and humanistic way imaginable. Have we done that to elections? I mean, are we trusting machines and computers? And, and he just said, you know, we know there will be hacks. Now, now, he contradicted himself a bit. He said if we don't spend twice as much money, we'll know there will be hacks. But there's never been a reported hack. I mean, I didn't want to call him out on that, but that, that's, that's kind of inconsistent one mm -hmm. with another. Um, and I get he's in the business of, you know, wanting to have more money. I mean, I, you know, he's trying to promote the lack of security in elections because he's in the election security business. That stands to reason. Um, but, but he said there's never been an example of hacking, but if we don't double the funding, 
we're going to have, you know, more hacking. Um, you well, some people advocate for getting right back to only paper ballots, well, I mean, And right? that's where I was headed. I mean, is it is it fair to say that this is one place in our world that technology has failed? It's not made it better. The, the, more, the more technology involved in elections, the less the public seems to trust it. And I think the reason the public doesn't trust it is we don't fully understand. I mean, the, the, these dark, shadowy and machines. You, you and, do understand that, that people can hack and control and make computers well, I mean, do things. We, we've all been victims of some hack in all of our lives. I get, a, um, I get a message from the bank saying, is this a valid purchase or not? And I'm going like, no, I'm not at Walmart in, you know, um, California, Stockton, California. Uh, you know, no, and you decline it. Then if you go through this rigmarole of, you know, getting a new car, to getting your car reapproved and whatnot. So so I, I would imagine everybody listening to my voice at some level is being involved in some hackery, so to speak. Um, and I guess the point I'm making is, have we farmed out so much of our election to machines and not people sitting at a desk, you know, handing you a paper ballot and saying, bring that right back to me. I think so. Now, yeah, I do too. I mean, I, I do. We, we've dehumanized the election process. And human beings are casting ballots, but we're trusting machines to make sure they're who they say they are. Have they, you they ever felt that they... way? Have, you know, once, once your precinct changed from the paper ballot and punching the hole in to the electronics, I mean, have you ever felt that way? You, you touch on the touch screen and you hit, uh, you know, okay, submit, and then it's gone. Did it count? Yeah, but but see, I... Did it make it where I mean, it was supposed to make it? But this goes to my nature, and this is why I have to be guarded about my perception and view and others. I am skeptical of nearly everything. I mean, I, you know, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I mean, it, it, give me the opportunity to be skeptical, and I will. I mean, that's just my nature. I'm sorry. I mean, it, it, I wish I weren't like that. My, my wife says, how do you wake up every day questioning whether... Some, you know, it's just my nature. I don't know. I mean, I, I wish it weren't the case. It served me fairly well. <laughs> <laughs> but but I wish I was more trustworthy. I wish I had more faith in the system, um, whatever that system or ecosystem, you know, whatever. Uh, let, let's say we're talking about, you know, in truck bodies. I mean, the steel industry. I mean, I was always skeptical of whether the steel industry was colluding. You know, uh, I, I always believed. I mean, my brother was like, well, here's the price. I said, of course, that's the price. I mean, that's what they all decided the price. <laughs> it's price. I mean, they price fix. How do you know that? I said, I don't know, man. My hunch is. They're price fixing, you know, they're colluding they have to be well, sure. They are. I mean, that's what they do. You know, who are they? I don't know when they do it. Yeah. You know, they do it. And I know they do it. They do it all the time. And then they're doing it us now. Um, so, so I don't know that I'm a good sounding board there because I'm just naturally inclined to be skeptical of, of things that, you know, uh, you're talking about do, do when I press a button, excuse me, when I mash a button on a computer to cast a ballot for such and such. Yes. I always wonder. Are they really going to count my ballot or not? Is there some way they're counting my ballot one half of one time and somebody votes Democrat, you know, one time? Or was there a glitch? You know, did something happen and it didn't count? I just assume there is. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I just assume there is a glitch. It's a little bit, uh, here's why I like sports. If Steph Curry makes a three-pointer, I saw he make it. And the score increases by three. If the Gamecocks score a touchdown Saturday, I watch them. Well, this Saturday be a bad example. Yeah, Next yeah. Saturday after the <laughs> Georgia game. Yeah, <laughs> unlikely. When the Gamecocks aren't playing Georgia, and they score a touchdown, and the, and the score increases by six, and the kicks the extra point, it goes through the uprights, and I see it another point. Okay, I, I'm, I'm there. I mean, I, I can go along with that. 
but some of these unknowns. Oh, yes, absolutely. When I vote and, and I, you know, cast a ballot electronically, I always wonder what happens to that ballot. I'll tell you, in 2016, that was the first election I was old enough to vote in. And I went to the Mint Hill Public Library with my mom and I was shocked because I, you know, I never voted before. I wasn't really sure what to expect. But I, I pulled out my driver's license, and they're like, we don't we don't need that. They just asked for my name, and then I they put me in front of a computer screen, and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. And they showed me, okay, here's like a printout, like a little receipt thing. But then they gave that to me. That was not what was being counted. And sure. I was like, good Lord. And you this- wonder whether what you voted corresponds with the receipt you were given. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen the newer machines now that actually print a ballot. I don't know if it's a backup just in case, but you get a printed ballot that you go put into a machine somewhere else. But I, you know, are but you convinced that it's counted the I, way it's I, supposed I, to be? I still believe voter ID numbers corresponding with ballot serial numbers. I mean, to me, that's a chain of custody that I could trust. Rev has a voter ID number. Rev was given a ballot with a serial number. And that ballot with a serial, there's a way he can go and check on the Florence County Election Commission site. Maybe the site, I don't know, some, there's some database somewhere that Rev can look at his, he can punch in his voter ID number and his ballot corresponds with that serial number. And it's obvious, okay, they got my serial number, or they got the ballot, it's the right ballot, and the voting looks like I, I voted. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, but but once again, I think I'm a bad person to ask because I'm just, I, I'm unbelievably skeptical and cynical about everything. And the older I get, the more skeptical and cynical I get. Let's go to the phone. Here is David in the PD. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Hey, good conversation with Dr. Bolt. Uh, you guys were talking about Buffalo and New York City. And I will tell you, a true infrastructure program is called the Erie Canal. So you guys do a study on that if you get a chance. Uh, in New York City, there's 8.5 million people live within 300 square miles. So Lee County, which is right next to us, has 411 square miles. Go, you imagine that. 8.5 million people living in Lee County. Uh, Ken, you were mentioning hacks and Democrat operatives and you talk about buffalo and new york city i don't know why i was thinking about tim russert love buffalo a hack and a democrat operative chuck todd did you watch meet the press i'm sure you did i did over the weekend and i'm telling you bo i'm good lord man i i I love this christian welker in a way but uh chuck todd said that meet the press is the pinnacle uh, political journalism. And there was a girl on there, I guess her name is Amy Walter, and they were talking about, oh, we love you, Chuck. Uh, we grew up in, together in politics. Uh, even Kristen Welker said, you taught me what I know about politics. And this is a sad part about what Chuck, Chuck Todd said, because Chuck Todd, he is a, he is a Democrat operative turned moderator just like uh, Stephanopoulos. So, you know, he, he, and, but he was bragging on how I want to educate the voter. I wrote this down and he said, I want to bring Washington to America. I mean, think about that. I mean, here you got a guy that worked for, we talked about Stephanopoulos, whether they worked for Clinton campaign in 92. He worked for uh, Chuck Todd worked for Tom Harkin in 92. That was another Democrat. 
So again, you got the hack Democrat operative turned into moderator. And I don't know how many people watch that show, but I can assure you there's somebody in those collar counties in Atlanta and Philadelphia and uh, Maricopa County and Clark County uh, in Nevada that watch these shows enough to possibly change your mind. So y'all think about that. Y'all have a great day. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. I don't think it's the jungle of ignorance. It's, I think it's the forest, forest of ignorance. You used to say forest. Well, I mean, I, I just don't think it's the jungle of ignorance. If we're going to be smart butts, let's get it right. <laughs> right? I mean, if we're going to be smart, Alex, you get it? I mean, let, let's be correct, smart Alex. Eh, you're missing the jungle for the trees. Okay. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> good deal. There you go. Good one, Josh. Um, I do want to take a moment before we go to the phone and wish my wife a happy anniversary. Um we, it's always kind of weird, you know, September 11 is the day that, you know, changed Americans or, or our, I don't know, just the way we live our normal lives. And then, you know, September 12 was the day we, September 12, 2000, ah, September 12, 1987 was the year we got married. I was September 11, 2001 made our anniversary the day after 9-11. And it's, I mean, it's not weird, but we've always, ah, wow. I mean, that's just, you know. You celebrate the day after. Yeah. Conflicting emotions. Very, very conflicting emotions. Uh, so, you know, my wife got married September 12, 1987. I'm convinced I got married about 1990. Yeah, first couple and a half years. I wasn't real good at it. <laughs> Didn't take it as seriously as I mm. probably um, should have. Cold beer and slow pitch softball were still in vogue. And uh, But anyway, happy anniversary to my better half. Let's go to the phone. Here's Jim and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Jim. You're on. Yeah, thank you for having me back. Welcome to the jungle of uh, informant information. So there's a saying uh, in the hacker world, information security is an oxymoron. So what's the hacker world? Well, I've been a hacker since I was 15. I'm 46 years old. Okay. And generally, as a hacker, um, our crime is curiosity. Okay, that that it's an old saying. It basically means most hackers just like the challenge of you know it's it's the Rubik's cube of the digital millennium. If you go to YouTube right now and you type in DEFCON, D-E-F-C-O-N, voting machine. Every year, there's a Black Hat convention and a DEF CON convention where all the hackers go to meet. And they have a saying, hack all the things. So in 2016, which is YouTube is not a search engine anymore, uh, they'll show you what they want you to see. And what they'll, they'll show you is that in 2016, when Hillary uh, lost, that at the DEF CON convention that year, Hundreds of hackers hacked every voting machine there was. And this was repeated by multiple individuals. Now, they don't want to show you anything past there. In fact, YouTube deleted my playlist of over 300 videos of whistleblowers, local testimony in different you know, venues, states around the um, country, of people saying that our, um, our voting machines are vulnerable. The problem is 
not only are the voting machines vulnerable, but they transmit their data through the internet to a central repository. That is um, that can be attacked with what's called a man in the middle attack. Are, are you following? I am as best I can. I mean, that, that world's a little bit unfamiliar with me, but I'm trying to keep so, up. So a man in the middle attack, basically our entire internet works on what's called a handshake. It's called the TCP IP stack. So I say hello to the computer. The computer on the other end says, hi, I'm here. I'm waiting. Send me some data. Then you send some data. And then, of course, there's another handshake. Well, a man-in-the-middle attack is basically a way way to interfere in that process, capture the data coming from the voting machines or the precinct, alter it before it is sent on to its final destination. Um, During the CIA Vault 7 and the Snowden NSA um, document dumps, both showed numerous tools that the government uses to modify data in traffic. Those are called man-in-the-middle attacks. Long story short, a dude with a Chromebook that you can buy for less than 100 bucks with Bluetooth and Kali Linux could sit outside a voting precinct and intercept, if not hack the machines directly, and anybody with access to the Internet going in and out of that building can do a man-in-the-middle attack let alone on an infrastructure-wide, nationwide basis, be able to go to the endpoint of where the data is collected and then alter the data there. People don't want to understand the nuances of this. This will never make it to the mainstream media. But you interview any hacker worth his salt, and he'll explain the exact same thing to you. Okay, what are the hackers motivated by? Are they paid are they are they surrogates for a campaign? Do they have a certain job to be done, or are they just doing this for craps and giggles? Some some are doing it for the lulls, l u l z, as they say. Um, but the majority are you know bounty hunters. Uh, Google, Facebook, you you know all of these major Silicon Valley companies they pay bounty hunters to find what are called critical vulnerabilities. CVEs. This is the um, CISA is the Cyber Infrastructure Systems Agency. They're in charge of putting out these CVEs, these critical vulnerability reports, to tell people, hey, we found a vulnerability in your firewall. You need to go update your software because hackers can do X, Y, and Z. People, bounty hunters, for like, say, Facebook, Facebook will pay them cash if they can find a way that their security team did not know about and show them how to fix it. The difference is there is no bounty hunter system for our voting network. There is. So there would be plenty of people who, you know, giving the. So nobody, nobody in the election world or nobody in the voting machine world is paying bounty hunters to find vulnerabilities. Correct. If there were, if they were, then there would be CVEs issued. All of this would be trackable on the internet. You can go to the CISA website. It's C I S A, and you can see what are called CVEs, and these are all of the different vulnerabilities that are. They're published hundreds of them a day. 
if not thousands. I have never, I've yet to see any that are on these specific voting machines, even though, like I said previously at the DEF CON convention, hundreds of different hackers were able to hack voting machines in less than two hours, just playing around, you know, and they did it specifically that year, all those videos are there because Hillary lost. Now, so, so, so whenever, let me, let me, I mean, you, I got a question for you now, so stick with me for a second. Sure. If, because I know very little about hacking. I know a lot about politics. So mm-hmm. Trump is going to be asked to defend some of the comments he made about the integrity of the election in 2020. I mean, that, that's going to be, he's going to be forced to do that. Um, he's under indictment because of some of the th- things he said and some of the actions that were taken. So if Donald Trump said, you can't trust these voting machines, and here's why, what would someone like you do to aid and assist his argument that these these voting machines aren't to be trusted. I mean, how could we make that publicly in, in the mainstream? The simplest argument you could make is I got pulled over for a speeding ticket, and then you go in front of the judge and you say to the judge, um, I'd like to know when the last time that you know highway patrolman's radar was calibrated. Because I believe it was wrong. My my speedometer said one thing, and his radar said another. When was the last time his was tested? Most people never think to ask this question. The same is true with these voting machines. There has been no, you know, there's no governing body of, you know, unelected bureaucrats who oversee uh, these voting systems, let alone where the servers are, where the data's collected, has there been any hacks on them? We know Hillary Clinton's um, email server was hacked. Nothing was done about it. Many major Fortune 500 companies get hacked regularly and wait six months to a year before telling anybody because it's going to affect their stock price. There is no reason to ever tell anybody that voting machines or the voting databases where they were the digital records were transferred that there was any breach whatsoever because if they did quote it would undermine faith in the system so do you believe and this is i mean i'm asking to speculate here now unless you know do you believe there have been candidates before that hire hackers to distort the outcome manipulate the outcome of the election to their advantage I think that the money trail would be obvious. I think that when you see, like right now, what I see as a trend is I'm getting hundreds of mailers and advertisements from these, you know, political action committees that are saying, uh, you know, if you elect Trump as, you know, for the primary, we will get four more years of Biden. Anybody but Trump paid for by blah, 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 blah. Now, people like that. These outside influential packs, they're more likely to be the the source of or foreign governments for that matter. Consider that fact. When you consider how many people have an interest in who ends up getting elected, even at the local level, when you see all of these rogue um, DAs, there there are so many different possible bad actors, none of which are investigated. That's that's my concern as someone who knows how easy it is. I can go to any government agency in South Carolina, sit in the parking lot, and break into their network in less than 30 seconds in most cases. 
Now you tell me that there that a local municipality is able to protect something as important and fundamental to our democracy as voting machines and the integrity of our elections. So you're arguing? No, you're not arguing. You're 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 saying that the voting machines are not. I mean, obviously nothing's bulletproof. Am I right? I mean, there, there's. I mean, I've watched movies galore. I mean, there is there a is there a system that's impenetrable? Uh, you there know, is, there is no system that's impenetrable. Impenetrable. In fact, um, a 16 year old girl from Anonymous, the hacker collective, was able to uh, break into the FBI's InfraGuard servers in Georgia. And, and basically dump all the information on the Internet. H.B. Gary Palantir and Barricode defense contractors also hacked by anonymous hackers, info dumped online. China hacked our um, Office of Personnel Management, the OPM that has the Social Security numbers and addresses of every government official, whether they're clandestine operators or not. So if if they can hack things like that, hacking stupid little voting machines, which have little to no security whatsoever, is is laughable. It's but but it's, I, I, I want to make sure I understand this, and our audience understands. We don't live in that world. But 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 okay. My understanding from what you've said, Google, Facebook, so, some of these some of these iconic names in, in in the digital sphere, they accept that they're not impenetrable. And they'd like to see you try. In other words, once you show them where their weak links are, you get rewarded. I mean, they're That's trying right. to be more bulletproof than they are. The, Everything the, I'm saying, anybody can go and okay, validate Okay, but, but stick with me for a second. So, yes, that, so, so, so some of the most iconic brands in the world have admitted we're not bulletproof, but we're trying. We're trying to be better tomorrow than we were today. Is there any reason to believe the election, excuse me, the companies that make these election machines are doing things similar to what Google and and some of these other um, enterprises are doing? The simple answer to that would be demand that they that they that they show you the receipts for where they hired a credible penetration tester to come in and actually attempt a hack. That's the most legitimate question, right? That's the most legitimate question. Show me that you have had a credible team of penetration testers that every six months do a year at a minimum. And most companies do it much more often than that. They go through and they test it every which way from Sunday to make sure there are no leaks whatsoever. And then they certify that ExpressVPN is penetration tested every three months. And then they brought, and then they email to all of their, you know, constituents. Hey, we just got penetration tested again. We passed with flying colors. Our our VPN is secure, and you have to do that constantly. That is so or interesting. You, hey, it, we, we got to take a break. I mean, it, but that, that that's been uh, that's been an enlightening yeah. last six or eight minutes. For very fascinating would be uh, enlightening for me. Fascinating for you. You probably know about. You would understand the technology far better than I. It's foreign to me. But but what he basically says is the companies that operate in that sphere understand how how important security is, and they make investments. They hire these rogue hackers. See if you can break into my system, and if they do break in, okay, where were uh, the weak spots? Where were the weak links? Uh, that that's a lingo I don't understand. That's a world I would not have a clue how to operate in. But are the voting machine manufacturers doing things similar to that? And and show us the data. 
Show us the, um, you know, the, the receipts, so to speak, of when you did it, what you did, and, and what we learned. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. We, we've kind of, I mean, I think we steered ourselves in a direction that there's too much technology in elections. I mean, the, 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 the sanctity and privacy of a vote is a fundamental uh, to our democracy, our representative republic. I mean, we call ourselves a democracy. We're not. We're, we're a, uh, kind of a uh, representative of a republic. Josh is kind of a, I mean, you're on the record. You think we, we, we depend on technology too much. Yes. And, and, and I still go back to why can't we have a voter ID number? We do correspond to a ballot with a serial number. I mean, to me, that's just, and, and once again, I'm a, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm very elementary when it comes to technology. I'll accept that. I mean, I don't understand the, the capacity or capability of technology. I mean, the, the, the hacker world, that's crazy nonsense to me. Um, you know, I mean, I understand it. I think it happens and I applaud the companies that invest in, you know, some of the most reputable companies on the planet that, that have a, a large digital presence. In other words, if let, let's use Amazon, I mean, how many of us have not put our financial information on Amazon, a credit or debit card? I mean, nearly everybody listening to me has probably at some point in time ordered something online, uh, whether it's Amazon or not. You allow that financial information, private financial information, to make its way into the uh, what what the um, the digital ether w- with a belief that it's going to be protected. So I applaud a company. Let's say Amazon spends millions of dollars. In, in testing their system. I mean, if, if Dave Baker is going to buy something from Amazon, I think one thing he wants to be certain of is nobody's getting their hands on his financial information except Amazon. So, so if Amazon is investing millions of dollars in hiring these, you know, whiz kids, so to speak, to make sure, you know, can you break into my system? Can you access Dave Baker's financial information or not? And if you can, how'd you do it? And there's kind of a, you know, yeah, there, there's and that's a, the responsible sure, thing for I mean, them to do. Very much so. I mean, that, you know what that's admitting? That's admitting we don't know uh, any more about this than, than some others do. So, I mean, if you, some, some of you hackers uh, pride yourself in being able to penetrate any sort of digital space, yeah. then yeah, find do a it. vulnerability yeah. that nobody has so found. So we yet. can fix it. That's right. I mean, so we can fix it. And how many of the companies that make election machines have made that similar investment? That would be an interesting. Uh, argument to make. I mean, do you want to go way down this rabbit hole? Have some of the voting machines worked in concert with the RNC or DNC? You know, I mean, I, I, I'm just throwing that out there. I have no idea, uh, you know, if or if not these voting machines are subjected to that sort of hackery, but they should be, right? I mean, it, you know, for me personally, I'd rather votes get miscounted than you get my financial information. But that's an important element yeah. in American government. We want to trust our elections. Yeah, integrity of elections is fundamental. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.